Fat Force Radio. Fat Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wynn. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Bat Force Radio is a weekly Batman slash DC podcast with no limits, covering everything in the realm of Batman and DC comics, media, collectibles, and beyond. Packed with fun segments, special guests, mayhem, and tons of laughs. So subscribe to Bat Force Radio over on iTunes and or SoundCloud, and also visit thebatforce.com, the Bat Force on Instagram and Snapchat, and the underscore Bat Force over on Twitter. Let's go, Gotham. I know who you are. <laughs> and I got a Paul Dini with me here. Oh, no way. We've been Ooh. looking for one of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in to a very special episode of Bad Force Radio. Uh, Bad Force Tom here. And in the house with me, I got Robin D. Cross from Canada. Hey, hey. I got uh, the Bat Crap from New York. I got Grandpa Batman from Dallas, Texas. Hey, how's it going, Paul? Good, Grandpa. <laughs> nice to hear from you. <laughs> got a notorious LP. DC from Dirty Jersey. Oh, hello, hello. I got Robo Rich from Detroit. Howdy. And I got the Trunkler from De- from almost not Detroit. I got the Trunkler from Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> hey, here we go. So our guest tonight, she is an accomplished magician and voice actress uh, with a seemingly endless list of credits, uh, including the franchises The Last of Us, Dead Rising, Bioshock, uh, the Batman Arkham Games, League of Legends, Resident Evil, shows including The Garfield Show, Ultimate Spider-Man is Aunt May. Uh, and the very first female in history to hold a residence at the world-famous Magic Castle in Hollywood, Misty Lee. Hey. Hey. Boy, it sounds so fancy when you say it that way, but you left off Princess Leia. (laughs) No way. Princess Leia in Battlefront. No, don't be fired. It just I was like, oh well, listen to that. I'm busy. He owns that game too. (laughs) I do own that game. I played that game, and you've killed me a bunch of times in that game. Oh good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next, he is a five-time Emmy-winning writer who's worked on Tiny Toon Adventures, Batman the Animated Series, Mm. Batman Beyond. Uh, He's an Eisner and Harvey Award winner for the Adventures of Batman: Mad Love. Uh, Writer for the Arkham Asylum and Arkham City games. And uh, father of a little-known character, Harley Quinn, Mr. Paul Dini. Oh, oh, me. I thought he was gonna say. I thought he was gonna say Rashi. Oh no. <laughs> Let's actually talk yeah, about go. that. Real quick. How dare you? There you go. I get top billing. Yep. Cannot forget about Rashi. So Harley uh, Quinn is a franchise. I'm the real kid. <laughs> you're, you're the money maker, right, Rashi? I'm the money maker, and I can shake it just as good as she does. Oh, probably better. <laughs> so yeah, you can fling it better than she can. Yeah, I fling a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Caesar Milan that? teach you that? Oh God, we'll uh, we could that. use Caesar Milan right now because our dogs are. Uh, <laughs> Standing on us. They're trying to get on right. <laughs> yeah. Tank, they're get down. Standing. 
standing on us. They can Get tell them they can be on the next episode. Okay. Well, they'll probably be joining in at some point. Oh, there they go. They're fighting. No, they're fighting. They they want to get on the air. Oh my god, they're so bad. If the sock monkey gets on the air, they can be on the air. So there you go. There um, go. so how about you guys talk a little bit about that? Because this is a radio rashi. Well, I like to call it the Bat Force Radio Rashi crossover. Um, you guys want to talk you a little bit about radio, radio Rashi? Radio Rashi Star Hour. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> super villain team up. We have super villain team up. Where's Grodd? Yeah, he's there making big money on the Flash. Oh. Yeah. We, we, we can't afford Grodd anymore. Nobody makes big money on the Flash. Isn't that a CW show? They have no budget. <laughs> Sell them. Like uh, insulting the people who sort of pay us. Nothing like getting applause on the other end of the podcast. <laughs> um, can you guys talk about Radio Rashi a little bit and what yeah. you know? Uh... Yeah, started. talk about it the whole time. Yeah, the return of Radio Rashi, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, that we loved doing that podcast, and then we had some trouble with uh, some technical issues, and it went down for a while. Mm. And uh, so that's why we suspended doing it. And uh, But we've been talking about going back and doing some more because turns out people miss the podcasts, and we miss doing them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely, it's really, really cool to kind of hear the side of, I mean, it's just, it seemed like it was, uh, you know, it, you guys did the skit stuff, a lot of pop culture commentary, which is really, really cool. Uh-huh. And you guys both have some amazing careers that have gone in a million different directions. So it's really cool to hear about your guys' insight, you know, on um, voice acting and performing and also writing and, and all that kind of stuff. So sure. I think that's what's the cool part about podcasts is when whenever somebody who's had, you know, a very interesting life or career opens up it's it's kind of like why you know the osbournes was so popular it gives you a look inside of a world that you know many people don't see um so yours was extremely fascinating our favorite ones are probably the ones where you would talk about uh you know comic-con halls and then misty would oh, sure. do shit about them and um <laughs> it's always fun to hear that but uh, yeah so if you guys bring it back definitely that'd be awesome it would be awesome to hear that so obviously you guys um have your dogs there right there yeah, um, right here, on us, right, there. Right, right now. <laughs> One thing that's really funny is um, kind of like the start of how we got you guys on this is that um, one morning uh, when I used to live uh, in the area closer over there, um, I woke up and I used to do this, you know, boot camp that was a fitness boot camp that you also got dog training, you know, right. kind of doing it together. Thank Dog Boot Camp. Shout out to them. Yep. Uh, yeah. to Noel and Jill. Great. They're out of state now. Yeah. Yeah. But they're still going strong. They're, they're taking it over there. One morning I wake up. It's probably like six. I don't know. Six, six thirty in the morning. I'm barely awake. My wife has dragged me uh, to this boot camp and I look over and uh, I make eye contact with this gentleman who is in just as much pain as I am. And, uh, more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel I like I guarantee you it was more. <laughs> he hated that so much. Oh, I Daddy that. hated me. I look, oh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm the most uncoordinated person in the world. I mean, I can do one thing at a time, like walk and then stop. But they're asking me to do like move sideways and spin around. Suddenly I'm doing jazzercise and I can't I can't process it. My body can't do it. My mind can't process the sequence of events, even if it's just move sideways with your dog. It's too much for me. So um, but I did I did try. You were doing great. We You're... had a dog that was trying to attack every other oh, dog yeah, there well, the Muggsy whole time. Oh, yeah, was trying to no, attack. No, Deuce. Deuce. Muggsy did attack somebody. Muggsy did. But Deuce is the one that Caesar came to correct. Yeah, yeah. That but one... Muggsy got a, got a few in there. 
that was the whole point i think though is is i think that uh, there was a lot of dogs we started out with a dog who is um she had a history of abuse and neglect and so she was a really beautiful border collie but she just was absolutely afraid of every man that she saw she thought every man was going to harm her um so it was kind of a rehabilitation process for her but what i remember um is i remember kind of seeing myself and you guys because misty you were completely gung-ho about it like you're so into it like so wanting to try every little thing and then I'm over here. My wife's the same exact way. She's wanting to try all this stuff. She's doing extra weight. She's picking up this. She's picking up that. And I'm over here like, fuck, I just want to go home. And then, mm-hmm. and like, I'm kind of, I'm doing like bicep curls at one point. I look over and I see Paul and I just have this moment. I'm like, fuck, okay. Thank God. I'm not the only one that like is struggling. I mean, not struggling, but like, I feel like you and I, like, I was like, I, oh, okay. Yeah, I got this. Yeah. Let's do this. I was this. going. Can I can I just not eat for a month? Will that, <laughs> will that count in lieu of doing this? It, it didn't really, really work. You no. downplayed it though, because it's not just like walking or walking sideways with your dog. They're making you do actual like you know weightlifting, running. There's yeah. a lot of so much cardio, and I hate cardio. I'm a big guy. Yeah. I I'm I'm over 300 pounds. Cardio. I don't know how to spell cardio. Um, <laughs> let alone do it. <laughs> so, but anyhow, how did you guys? end up at a boot camp with Caesar Milan yelling at you guys, chasing you around at 6 in the morning. How did that yelling come it. <laughs> You make it sound like he was creeping on us and ran us down there and like he was going to come after us with a clown mask on. <laughs> like, it was, uh, which is kind of what happened because he really motivates you. <laughs> like yeah, he does yeah. whatever it takes. But we, were, we did dog training with Jill and Noel from the Thank Dog Boot Camp. And Jill came over and worked with Deuce and Muggsy, and she did a really good job with them. They Both Jill and Noel are like dog magicians. They're wonderful. Yeah, they are. And they were contacted. Apparently, the accountant from mm-hmm. Caesar Milan's production company came to the boot camp, and she pitched the boot camp as a show. And she said, do you have any clients with dogs that are problematic? And Jill said, as a matter of fact, I do. And (laughs) she said, let me give them a call. And so they came over and talked to us. The production team came over first. Mm -hmm. And then they said that they had talked to Caesar and they were looking for unique angles for dog training. Because it's usually he comes over, your dog's being an asshole. He goes on the side of it and then it acts okay he tells you that you're the problem and then everything squares out and and to exercise your dog and they were just kind of over like the the formulaic way that the episodes were coming out and he really wanted to show other applications of training and so he saw this as a unique and cool opportunity to include fitness because that is so much a part of his platform those dogs Mm -hmm. need to run if you want them Mm -hmm. to behave so they contacted Jill they said do you have anybody and she said I really do they called us. Most people submit to be on the show, but they contacted yeah. us and said, we understand you have a dog who's a problem. And we said, yeah, we certainly do. He's kind of a dick. And they said, okay. So <laughs> they came over and met well, Deuce and said, list- yep, dick status for confirmed. Listeners. For our listeners, what what breed of dogs are yours? Well, they were. They're both gone. They, but we lost them both last year. Uh, Deuce mm. and Muggsy were Boston mm. Terriers. Yeah, they were litter mates too. Yeah, they were brothers. And, uh, and Deuce, we always said, well, he's he's a little shy with other dogs, and Caesar says, "No, he's not shy. He's a jerk." Yeah, he did. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he's a yeah, Paul said, oh man, Paul what a said, dick. Yeah. yeah, he really seriously. That's what Caesar said. Paul said, "Well, we think he's afraid," and Paul said, "You're afraid. Your dog's a jerk." Caesar said, "Yeah." Caesar said that. Paul said, "We think he's afraid," and Caesar said, "You're afraid. Your dog's a jerk." And we were like, "Oh, well, I guess we should control that then." And he was like, "Could ya?" And he said, uh, "You know, you you." 
you ascribe these character characteristics, human characteristics to your dog, and you got to treat them like dogs. And I'm going like, well, I deal with cartoons, you know, mm-hmm. so everything is a cartoon <laughs> to me. You know, <laughs> that's amazing. So we had to kind of uh, change our thinking as far as that goes and look at them strictly as dogs and not as uh, little fur babies. <laughs> How long did you, did that whole process take? Like from Two starting. Weeks. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow. they followed us for a couple of months, two or yeah. three months, because he was on this weight loss journey that he's done great with. They so they followed us. They started following us with that. They paid for diet food that we were having food that was pre cooked and but fresh produce delivered to the house. They paid for that for a couple of months. We just had to promise to stick to it, and um, and it worked. Yeah. And so they followed us with that. But the actual from the time we met Caesar until he returned Deuce, he made enormous progress with him within the first forty five minutes. And then worked with him for a little while. We met him once prior to the boot camp day where you saw him. We met him once and he said, I see what this dog's problem is. He's coming home with me. And we were like, "Uh, no, he's not going away. And Caesar (laughs) said, no, no, he needs to come home with me. He's a very bad boy. (laughs) And we were like, oh, okay. So he took him. Yeah. And he was gone with him for, what, nine days? It was something like that. Oh, it was two weeks. Holy yeah, shit. It was, it was yeah. a while. Yeah. And uh, came home with some scratches on his snout where Junior had corrected him. They got in a little scuffle, and Junior said, I don't freaking think so. And Caesar said, that's normal. You signed off. This is how it happens. Yeah. He had to become part of the pack. And then returned him nine days later mm-hmm. with Coco, which was a little tiny chihuahua that he had adopted. And Deuce had also adopted him, had bit him on the back. They mm-hmm. made up. Yeah. Uh, what an asshole he was. Oh, I know. Had, had made up. <laughs> that was nice to us. And they were best friends. He and Coco. He came came home with this little tiny sassy chihuahua that was his best buddy. A couple of wow. thugs. Yeah, it was really funny. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of thugs. They were. They were. I mean, yeah. they were so bad. I know. Well, I never, you know, it's like I never saw that. I mean, we never other... saw it either because they were so good with us. They yeah. were just jerks to other animals. Yeah. Maybe it's because they're just, they're so comfortable and feel safe and, and secure. With uh-huh. you guys, that's why it doesn't show up until they kind of get in an uncomfortable situation or like a threatening situation where we don't think it's threatening or anything like that. Right. But for them, you know, it's they're they're outside. And it, you don't think about it. You don't think about like I'm out here in a park with six or seven other dogs. To us, it's just we're out in a park. But to the dogs, it's like they're in the wild, you right. know, and, and oh, yeah. I don't know who these I don't know who these other dogs are. These are my owners. I got to protect them. I got to exactly. I got to you know make a statement. I got to show off. So, yeah, it could be I, the one thing that that boot camp taught me was just how to com- look at my dogs and dogs now in general just in completely different light because it teach you kind of a respect for their uh, their point of view basically as animals right. um, and survivors. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean it was it was awesome to see you guys there. It was just so funny that I was like I was like for, I mean Caesar Milan's awesome. Um, but the fact that they put you guys on that and then boot camp at the same time was like holy oh, yeah. shit! They're they're working these people like crazy. Yeah, we were diehard. Yeah, <laughs> well, we were all laughing at the video because there's Tom and he's like kind of be cool and he's like looking through the side of his eyes, yeah, I'm like to say, oh my god, that's Paltini. Oh my god, that's Paul Dini. but I'm gonna, I'm gonna like, I'm gonna like try to work out. But oh my god, yeah. I do well, that every morning when I wake up. I look over and go, oh my god, that's oh, man. Hey, that's beautiful. You're talking about when you look at your dogs, right? He hasn't made it to the side of the bed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but Misty, you and Paul are obviously uh, prolific, uh, established creatives in the field. But how did you guys meet? For our listeners who don't know, um, I books. actually yeah, comic books. He had written Zatanna Everyday Magic, and somebody handed oh, it to right. me and said, "Dude, you need to read this." She 
looks a little bit like you. She does what you do and she's got your mouth. And I think you really kind of dig this. And I read it and I did like it. And I'm the kind of person who, if I go through the Burger King drive-thru and they do a nice job, I give them a call and let them know. Because I think that we just don't, especially not just creatives, but service providers don't hear compliments as much as they hear complaints. And they need Mm. to get Mm. that feedback if you've if you're pleased with what they've done, I think that they deserve to know. And wow. I sat down and sent Paul a note. I didn't want to date the guy. I just wanted to let him know he did a good job. And I said, I really liked your take on her. You clearly understand magic. And he wrote me back and said, hey, you remind me a little bit of her. Mm-hmm. And we went back and forth via email. And that turned into instant messages, which right? turned into phone calls yep. two weeks late. Smooth. Two weeks late, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? He, <laughs> he knew smooth. what he was doing. He knew <laughs> no, what he was no, doing. no, no, no. Because I, I went on her website. <laughs> And I he still don't know had... what he's doing. <laughs> I know, I still don't. I have no idea what I'm doing right now. He and his friend Steve were in the living room the other day, and they were kind of laughing at each other going, Paul said, I got no game. I got no game at all. And Steve said, me either. And, they no were both, game. and I was in the other room, and I was laughing so hard because they yeah, don't, like, neither one of them. Steve's going, like, oh, my guys don't have any game. And I said, you're black. You have no game. He goes, oh, I know. I have, I've got no game. It was really funny. Yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, I I just thought I saw a a photo on on Misty's website, and she looked gorgeous, and she had her assistants around her. And I'd known that from going to see a lot of magic shows, a lot of times when it's the female magician is the front person, there's always a couple of guys in the background. I figure, oh, that's got to be her manager, agent, or her husband, or one of those guys. Don't go head over heels over this one. Don't flip out, you know, because. You know, don't get yourself hurt. And then I, yeah. so that's why I, 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 I hung back a little bit. And then she, when I finally did call, it's like, why don't you call me, jerk? Wow. <laughs> well, you no, know, you need to tell them what. We made an appointment because I was living in Detroit at the right. time. Which one of you is from Detroit? That would be me. Where are you? Rich. I live in Lincoln Park. I live 15 minutes from there. You don't well, have to explain yourself. I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm across. I'm across the river in Windsor. So, uh, yeah, yeah, no one cares. You're in Canada. Yeah, that doesn't count. <laughs> I, only know hey? I only know Detroit proximity to Louis Pizza. Where, where, that's, where, that's out by the racetrack, isn't it? Yeah, it's by Hazel Park. Oh, that, that's right. Yeah. That's so that's so where funny. I'm from. And that's where I was when when he, you know, like when we started talking and we made an appointment for him to call. He said, I'll call you at seven o'clock on Thursday. And he called me like a week and a half later. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, where the hell were you? Because I was sitting here waiting, and that's really the rude. one week rule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one week in like two days, like random, like when I finally worked up the nerve, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what the hell that was, or just uh, you felt like not being rude anymore. What was that? Why'd you wait so long? I, marital counseling ball. episode. Well, of, uh, it's uh, bad for I really did think you had a boyfriend, and two, every time I had in in the past. I had called right away. I think the person I was calling always said, like, oh, this guy sounds kind of desperate. Click. <gasps> no. And so I, I wanted to just. That's their loss. Yeah. Those girls easy. suck. So um, I didn't want to be um, too eager. I can relate, man, because I can relate, Paul. I, um, Again, you know, my wife is, I, I consider her beautiful, and many people have said that, too. So, and, you know, for those of you who might not know what Misty looks like, um, Google her, because Paul's not not downplaying Misty's beautiful and when you you know when when you get an email from a person or a you know woman as beautiful as Misty and you see like oh hey you know I really like your stuff and blah 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 you're like all right who's who's fucking with me here like (laughs) which you know women don't just leave you emails saying like you know this that so um and yeah it's it's totally understandable 
Um, but it's such an amazing story, man. Like literally comics brought you guys together and a comic that relates to what Misty's doing. That's yeah, so- it's funny. We were we were sitting at dinner uh, shortly after we enge- were engaged with a guy named Coop. He's an artist. He draws devil heads and stuff. And he said, boy, you know, we never thought he'd get married. And I said, no, why? And he said, because he always said that his type was a female magician who looks like a stripper. And I was convinced that that wasn't a thing that was out there. And here you are. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> just got to go to Detroit. <laughs> the guy draws devil heads. What do you want? <laughs> so he just wanted to skip all the role playing. He just went right for it. He just conjured yeah. me up out of nowhere. Yeah, it's, it's That's what everybody awesome. always says. They're like, man, you just conjured her up. Well, Which I guess you could have because you were writing by 20, weren't you? I was what? You were writing by 20 weren't you i guess so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like um it's uh we have an age difference here it's it's uh yeah yeah that's that's true i don't know putting it out to the universe for what you're looking for and that's a very uh, specific list of qualifications well you taught me there's real magic in the world so uh, yes there is there's there is and i think that our story worked out okay yes you're doing all right yeah, I mean, you ended up here with us, so of course. Absolutely. You know, everything yeah. has led to this. Yes. We have arrived. Where, right where can you go from here? I don't know. Uh, we'll be back again next Wednesday. There you go. Sweet. Yes. We're just Anytime. stay here. Perfect. This is a pinnacle. Yeah. There's nothing else. <laughs> nothing else matters. It's right. this uh, and then my tombstone. Misty, to the grave, right from here. I, I knew I knew you did a lot of voiceover work, but holy shit! Like, yeah. <laughs> it's literally like almost an endless list of stuff oh, that you're doing. Nice that... you. I've got some yeah. really cool stuff coming out too that I can't tell you oh. anything about. <laughs> yeah, just today, just today. Rad. Wink if it's a Batman it. game. <laughs> What's that? Well, you know, we shared a video. Well, we didn't share it. We shared it in our own group. But, uh, you know, we shared a video amongst each other of you working on The Last of Us. Because uh, oh, there's yeah. an awesome video that you put up on YouTube that people can check out of you doing work on The Last of Us. And you came up with the clicker. Like, that's that's Brilliant. a thing that you came up with. Yep. Oh, shit. <laughs> I love that. That's crazy. I just want to say that's... I, Looking at you, be so animated and just going into that and creating that sound. I think that's absolutely brilliant because in games today, and in I guess what you want to call the post-apocalyptic zombie-ish realm of games and media, yeah. it's very di- difficult to distinguish that kind of sound because you think of undead moaning and yeah. groaning, you hear, and screaming. Oh, yeah. But that, yep. that sound applied to those mutated humans in that game was so distinct and different and eerie. You creating that is really brilliant work. Uh, oh, thanks, man. Mm-hmm. You know, they actually, it was a really cool project because, and I'm not sure how much we discussed this in that video. I think I, I know what video you guys saw where I sh- where Phil, the guy that was the audio designer, talks a little bit about it. The Naughty Dog guys. Yeah. Is that yeah. the one you guys yeah. watched? Yeah. 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 They, were, they were so rad. There were two of them in the room with me, and then there was the audio engineer, and we were trying to come up with a sound for this, and they had given me, like, when you come in for a game, usually you don't even know what game you're doing. When I did Grand Theft Auto, and I just did, like, ancillary voices they just gave me a sheet with a picture of a park ranger and said here's your 12 lines and i was like what what is this you know like you don't you have no idea and and you get no context and they'll say oh deliver it again like a guy just almost hit you with his car okay and you have no idea you have no idea what you're doing and then later i found out i was like oh i was in grand theft auto that's kind of rad you know you have no idea what you're doing i'm seriously because you sign these ndas and then to help you keep the NDA, they give you a fake title to the video game, and then you don't find out until later what you're credited on, if you're credited. There are a lot of games that I've done, I'm sure, that are missing from my IMDb. But anyway, the day of The Last of Us, I came in and they sat down and said, look, here are the creatures. We brought you in to do creatures, because I had done creatures on a... I know that one's not on IMDb. I don't even know the title of it. It was some Japanese game where I was a harpy, 
and oh, it was like and this this one. this monster was eating people with its stomach it had teeth oh, in its stomach yeah. and then, yeah, and yeah. it was and i was working with a casting director named tom keegan and the and this eric guy was there and he was watching me and uh when i was done he said i i got another project i think you'd be good for and i said okay give me a call. So he called my agency. A couple months went by, actually. And they brought me in and said, you're here to do creatures. There are very few women that do creatures in LA. So he said, here, here are the photos. And they gave such a great psychological background to what these creatures were, why they were being, you know, like once they were the infected, there were stages of the infected. I, I don't remember what all three stages were, but there were basically three stages of, stages of infected. And the first stage, you don't feel good. The second stage, your body has been completely overtaken. And the way they described it, they said, you're in a backpack on your own body, watching your body kill people you love. Mm -hmm. And imagine the psychological torment. And then they just recorded what I thought that would feel like. And they said, give us 45 seconds of that. You're tearing into someone you love. Let us hear it. You know, like the torment and the rage and the sickness and all of that. That was what they did with that. And then with the clickers, they said, you are no longer human. Now you are this thing. And they showed me that bursty flower, calla looking thing with acne, that Mm. awful, awful, awful thing that the infected are. And they said, give us a sound. So I started doing, if you really want to sound inhuman, I do a lot of stuff on an inhale like that. And yeah, it's cool. And so we started horsing (laughs) around with that sound and they were like, this is cool, but let's keep going. And so we pushed it and they said, can you get some psychology in there? And we started playing it. I clicked on that clicker sound and they went, stop, just stop, stop everything. How did you do that? They said, do it again. And they said, can you do it over time? Can you make it louder and softer? And so we started playing around with that sound and it was Eric and Phil that really, really honed it. And then they put it right in the game. Phil came into the booth and said, teach me how to do it. And Eric came running in with his cell phone and took that video that you guys saw. And I was so exhausted by that time because two and a half hours of that stuff. I mean, you're losing your voice because wow. it dries Christ. out. Yeah, it was cool. This reveals far too much about myself, but I've played through The Last of Us five times and wow. the clickers are by far the creepiest part of the game. Right? Mm-hmm. And when they told me that it was like an echolocation thing, they said, that sound you just made, we're going to use for echolocation. So can you control how fast it goes and how slow it goes and how loud and how soft and we really we spent the rest of that session just doing that so it was pretty it was a pretty rad project and i left i had no idea what the game was all i knew was i was going to be a monster in this thing and this is what it was and then all of a sudden the game came out and i was like wow that's like a triple a game that's kind of a big deal that's cool (laughs) i think that game robin you might know too i think that game won more awards than probably maybe any other game in history actually video it did, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah it, it did huge and i i think it's still the only game to ever get a, a perfect 10 rating on ign mm. yeah. wow yeah it's one of my favorite games ever it's... and yeah troy baker did such a beautiful job the cast was just outstanding the the direction and the writing and the gameplay it was just overall a damn good game. Yeah, when when you see the multiple layers that that really get taken, like just the fact that they spent, I mean, they spent so much time on just your one sound of honing in that sound of the clicker shows right. how much detail went into the game like that. Yeah, um, it's no wonder that it's winning so many awards. And it's crazy because nowadays, like they put advertising money into games like their movie franchises now too. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. oh yeah. Well, they are. Yeah, well. <clears throat> Yeah, things do become that. The Last of Us is supposed to be developed into a film. That's so and I'm not Oh, good. Maybe they'll call me in to do ADR on the clip. There you go. That'd be cool. <laughs> the video games 
pull in just about as much up. as a big tentpole movie. They're Absolutely. Like Some of those games make dollars. more. What? Yeah. Some of those games yeah. make more. I mean, the Grand Theft Auto franchise is like printing money. It made $800 million, I think, within the first two days of it being released, the new I one. can't. I can't wow. even understand. You go to cons. I know. Have you guys ever gone to con- the? Have you been to the cons where you see the voice actors who are in the? They're doing the autograph uh, pavilions, and the voice actors for the games have the longest lines. Like the Grand, Grand Theft I Auto. I know. I, sh- I wish I could. Yeah. Grand Th- yeah. The Grand. I think. I think it was like Kamikaze, or it was. Uh, was it WonderCon? Maybe where they had the Grand Theft Auto actors, and they they had a two-hour line. Just for wow. just for uh, photograph opportunities and, and autographs, and uh, it's funny because you know their line is two hours long, and you got Kevin Conroy right there who's got a line half the size, and it's just like how does how does this add up? This is insane. Mm-hmm. But I think it's you know I guess accessibility, kids, video games, you know, um, young audience, really 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 young audiences playing games, probably the games that they shouldn't be playing, but mm-hmm. it's something that they have access to and. Um, they just get hooked. It just kind of goes across multiple mediums. Mm-hmm. But, I just um, went to but, the uh, Dallas Comic Con this past weekend, and one of the big features, just like what you were talking about, was that they had the voice actors for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reading scripts from the animated TV series. The line was almost to the back of the pavilion. Was this the current series or like the classic series? I want to say the, the classics. Current. Well, I don't know. I mean, I didn't you know go, who so was, didn't was there. Was it was Sean Astin there? I I, I really don't know. But it was cool to see who the turtles are. <laughs> no, I know the turtles, but I didn't know the voice actors that they had because I had, I had an agenda that I had to stick to to for my day. <laughs> so I'm I'm sorry I didn't check them out. Listen, that did not fall within my reign of fandom. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Grandpa Batman has bad knees, and so he can only stand Grandpa in so Batman. many lines. You should tell them the Uncle Batman. Uncle story. Batman. You guys oh, know about Uncle Batman? Tell me, I, Uncle I, Batman. I want to know. Hear about oh it. my oh, god. Oh, Uncle Batman. Oh <laughs> boy. Is he an old pervert? Maybe. I don't know. I'm tell Uncle Batman. I'll try. It's a short story. Okay, the, Uncle Batman. This is some years back. I guess about six. About I think it's about eighteen or nineteen years ago, and it was at Dragon Con, and it was Dragon Con. Now is in the fall or the early late summer, early fall. Back then, it was in the early spring. I think it was a the con in Atlanta, and they had a Batman panel, and invited to the panel was myself and Julie Schwartz from DC Comics. Adam West, uh, Yvonne Craig, and Frank Gorshin. And wow. Frank, yeah, some you know heavy power, you know bat, bat folks there. And Frank had a uh, uh, had laryngitis, and so he didn't want to, he, he wanted to save his voice, so he wasn't on the panel. So it was uh, the four, um, Yvonne, Julie, and Adam, and myself. Julie and Newmar. Julie was not there. Wait, oh Julie Schwartz. Julie Schwartz. I'm sorry, Julie I'm sorry, sorry, Schwartz. Sorry. And. We're we're there and we're we're talking and I, I'm wondering why I'm even here because these you know these other people are are the legends and at one point they're fielding questions Adam's taking all, all the questions and someone asks the inevitable question Adam would you ever do a Batman movie and he says well maybe if Warner Brothers would ask me I would and maybe if somebody at Warner Brothers who has a lot of power they're like Paul. You have power, maybe, maybe you would, and it's like, and it's oh like, God, no power. I can barely get on the stage. Come on, no, I, you know, you're asking the wrong guy. And he go, but the crowd starts cheering, and Adam says, "In fact, 
I've come up with a story. And I'm going like, here it comes. Oh, boy. And <laughs> I can just hear him because the, the way story, he talks is, yeah. A story is of Uncle Batman. And the crowd cheers and goes crazy because they all want, they don't know what Uncle Batman is, but they know they love it. And yeah. Adam, <laughs> would you like to hear the story of Uncle Batman? And, you know, one lone voice is going, no, but I got shouted <laughs> down. And everybody else is like, yeah, 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 Uncle Batman. And Adam has put his hand on my shoulder and it just stays there throughout the whole story. Like, I, like he expects me to do this, like. He expects me to buy the story and 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 put it into development right away. And Julie Schwartz is just looking at me, going like, "I'm so glad I didn't get that one." And um, and so he Adams has the story, and the story is, well, we open the present day with whoever's playing Batman. Now it could be anybody; it doesn't really matter. Uh, is playing the current Batman, and he's out, and he fights the fight of his life against the Joker, or Riddler, or somebody, and he comes back to the cave, and he's all broken up and and disillusioned and he's ready to hang up being Batman. And then he gets a call from the long lost relative. He knew, never knew he had uncle Batman <laughs> who was the first Batman. <laughs> and he comes to, to Bruce Wayne in his hour of need. Oh, and I'm uncle Batman, by the way, of course, of course you are. And I train Bruce to get back on his feet. And then the two of us jump in the old Batmobile and we take off. Batman and Uncle Batman Uncle to fight Batman. crime and avenge Gotham City. And the crowd is loving this and they're cheering it and everything. And I just want to die because I can't I can't do anything with this story. And I don't think it's that bad an idea. But I you know, suddenly it's all on me to take this to Warner yeah. Brothers and will you do it, Paul? Will you pitch Uncle Batman? It's like I will. I'll pitch it right out the window. I don't have any power here. So but the audience is cheering and so uh that was the story of Uncle Batman. That's that's Adam's dream project and I hope he gets to make it someday. Yeah. There's one guy. There's one guy from that crowd that is still fucking waiting for that story, and it's probably like, "Where is Paul Dini? Why has he not written Uncle Batman?" Totally. I'm changing my Twitter handle now. <laughs> Uncle Batman. There you go. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Um, like how was you? Speaking of uh, speaking of voiceover work, um, Paul, you tweeted a picture earlier today. Uh, I did. Can you tell it's me? You. In a nope. booth, you can't. What was that? Nope. Can't you can't, talk about that? Only in a very roundabout way. I, I'll say it was uh, fun getting the band back together, and oh, it's a for it, it, it's something that will. Uh, I think it's going to be announced over Comic Con, um, and it's something very different, but with uh, um, a lot of people I've had a lot of fun with working before. So that's all I can really say about it. Jesus. This isn't giving away anything that you, you, I mean, it's in the picture, but in the picture, for those of you who are wondering, go check out Paul's Twitter. Um, because he tweeted it out, I think earlier, earlier today, earlier this morning. Yeah. And it's a picture of you in a, it looks like a voice recording booth, correct? Mm, I would say that's correct. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, making, they're making the new "We Are the World" single for. Uh, yeah, it does yeah, look like that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, in the in the booth in the booth are uh, are two very known character or two very known voice actors from all over. I mean, they've they've worked all over with. Uh, it's Kevin Conroy and uh, Tara Strong, and Tara Strong's voiced a couple of different characters. Um, and uh, can you name some of the other people in the picture? Uh, Lauren Lester was there. Uh, Robin from uh, the early days of the animated series, mm. Andrea Romano, our um, 
wonderful uh, voice director and uh, I, I forget who else was in the was in the shot. Was it oh, no. was it just us? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, was I, I, Mo in there? Uh, Mo came later. Maurice Lamarche was was in there. So uh, special guest appearance by the Brain uh, later in the day. That doesn't make wow. any sense. No, and uh, <laughs> and Mark Hamill was not there. I think he's off making some sort of space movie somewhere. So, oh, uh, something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, something, something about. It. Star Trek, I think, or something. I don't know. Yeah, so I think he gets fly by night little production. <laughs> I think Battle he, Star Galactica. I think he gets a line. Yeah, there you go. His name is attached to Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but anyways, squeaky so in the Buck Rogers. So. He wants to be Buck Rogers. But yeah, so uh, everyone listening to that, they can speculate as much as they'd like to. That is uh, some amazing news to hear that uh, that is somewhere in the works uh, down yeah, the pipe. I, I'd say look for an announcement around Comic Con time, and it's it's pretty cool. So wow, okay, awesome. But uh, how Jesus. about let's talk about something um, Paul's comfortable talking about, like the book you have coming out, which is yeah! Oh, yeah. Dark Knight: A True Batman Story. That'll be out. I think it debuts in either comic book stores or regular stores on the 15th and then wide release everywhere on the 21st of this month. So it's a autobiographical story about, uh, about that takes place during the time I was writing the Batman series 23 years ago. And it deals with a, a traumatic incident that I went through at the time. And it's illustrated by Eduardo Rizzo, who fans will know from a hundred bullets and a lot of great Batman stories. I was very thrilled to have him on the book and he does just a killer job with it. He's an so amazing it, illustrator. So mm-hmm. it is illustrated or is it like a straight prose book? I mean, no, it's illustrated. It's a graphic novel and oh, okay. it's, and it's narrated by myself as if I'm giving a pitch in animation and in TV animation, you don't often make pitches to the room. It's more common in prime time and features, but that was a device that worked out really. I've, I've done both, and it was a device that worked out very well for the story is to have me in a pitch room as if I'm pitching an animated feature and pinning up little uh, quick sketches that I've done on the wall and explaining them, and it leads into a uh, a longer autobiographical story of uh, that, like I said, takes place during the time of the animated series and uses that as the backdrop for what my job was at the time. And it also incorporates the Batman characters into the story as sort of... In a play it again, Sam stuff. Yeah, like, kind of like the way that Humphrey Bogart appears to Woody Allen's character in Play It Again, Sam, sort of an extension of his imagination. The Batman characters form a kind of Greek chorus in my head for pro and con, you know, uh, like the angel and devil on your shoulders. Uh, w- it kind of uh, egging me on or encouraging me during this uh, bad time of my life. That is awesome. I mean, you want to tell um, him a little bit about what happened. Oh yeah. Um, like, I mean, it, you guys probably want to know what happened to him, right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, 20, 23 years ago, I was, I was working on the series and having a good time and kind of living what I imagined was sort of like, you know, a perfect little happy geek life, you know, with job and everything. And, uh, and one night I was walking home and I got, uh, attacked by two guys on the street. It was very random. It was very sudden. And they were just on top of me, brutally smashing me for no other reason other than the fact that I was there and they were just out to get somebody. And I happened to be the Holy victim. shit. Oh, wow. So it, the beating went on for a while. They eventually robbed me, but only after I was a bloody mess on, on, a, on, on someone's lawn. No one ever came out to you know, to hear the guy, the, the guys were screaming at me. I knew better than to call for help because they were 
they were trying to get me to just talk or scream because I think that would have been their excuse to really kill me. But um, they certainly didn't, you know, they certainly were trying to. And it was just, you know, this act of brutality. And as I was going through it, I just felt like, it's like you're being attacked by an animal. You just sort of have to ride it out and wait for it to get tired and go away or else just make your peace with what's happening. Cause this could be it. Wow. And, and uh, they eventually stopped and they said they were going to blow my head off. And, uh, and I just sort of prepared myself for it, but then they, they left and, uh, and I, it, it I, I walked home, staggered home when I try it, when I crossed the street, it turns out they were waiting in their car and they tried one more time to, to get me. And, uh, and I just, you know, jumped to the side and then ran home and I looked at my life at that point and it was, you know, this sort of empty life. The worst part about it, even when I was going home, the one thought in my head was the, the one thing that's going to make me feel even worse is there's going to be no one at home to say, oh my God, when I walk through the door, because it, it, it really was kind of a lonely life at that point, you know, it's comic books, animation cells, it's a, a fun job, but there's just no real connection with anybody. And that put me at a point in my life like do i try and reconstruct what i have or do i try and force myself to live outside my life at this point and try and get back out among people and not become agoraphobic and not become hateful or resentful about what happened not let it scar me and that took some doing and it deals with about the three or four months while i was healing and excuse me, listening to these inner voices and trying to figure out what to do next. And at that time, one of the things I definitely did not want to do was go back and write Batman because none of it made any sense to me anymore. It's like, I can't write a, write stories about idiots and capes saving people when nobody came to, when save, nobody you. Came to save me. And when, I, mm. when I've got to just crawl myself back from really nothing, you know, my family lived far away, was not in a relationship. I had friends here and there and, you know, who were sympathetic to what happened, but you know, at that point, I, I told myself I really am at ground zero, and I either got to stay—I can either stay here or I can stand up and try and go on. So it's what happens after I made the decision to stand up and go on. Wow, Paul, that—that that is insanely. I mean, that—the fact that you went through that and kind of came out the other side. And number one, amazing. That, I mean, the fact that you're alive. You know, the fact yeah. that you can look and say, like, yeah, I'm that, alive that's the big—that's the big uh, plus, actually. It's uh, that uh, the yeah. cops were saying, kind of, I'll well, be grateful they didn't kill you because a wow. lot of people don't walk away from it. Yeah, so, it's ex an extremely traumatic experience that I think anyone would probably have some trauma and some things being brought back up afterwards from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it made you reconsider kind of like your entire life. And you know what? I'm so glad that you were able to kind of heal from it, both physically and emotionally, and continue mm -hmm. what you were doing. Because when you're talking about it, the way you're making it sound like maybe I don't want to do this anymore. What is the meaning of this? I'm so glad that you actually found the meaning in it. Because to us, you're fucking Batman, dude. You, <laughs> yeah. you are you are the reason you are the reason why myself and and countless others love this character more than anything you know almost as much as family members and, and Paul, you, oh, wow. you know, say real quick you have to understand that in reality you have enriched the childhood of a generation after school yep. with the writing in that show and that is just the truth so well, I, speak, thank you. I speak for everyone when we say that we we're so yeah. glad that you were strong enough to pull through something like that and then just to thank continue you. on you know sharing your gift with the world 
that means a lot to me. Thank, thank you. That's very encouraging. And thank. And one of the one of the things, uh, one of the uh, and a very other encouraging thing that I got from um, that I received recently about uh, about the book was I got a very nice note from a police officer in uh, South Carolina who was a, a kid when the animated series was on, and he said um, he could never grow up to really become Batman. But he could become a police officer, and watching wow. the animated series, you know, kind of shaped his mind about what he wanted to do and uh, and um, and how he wanted to live his life, and that is a having a having a, a bit a little bit of that responsibility is something I don't take lightly. It was a very moving letter, and uh, especially when I got to see a, a clip of the officer working with kids on his own time and really building self-esteem with kids and, and doing a lot of stuff for the community. So, and that's kind of the point I make in the book. It's if I, uh, if I'm part of something bigger than myself, that a lot of people contribute to that a lot of other people really enjoy, then it's really my responsibility to stay with it. And I don't want to walk away from that too soon. And besides, if I do walk away, the bad guys win again. And I want to love that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're I, I I like to think that our group is kind of a testament to what you've achieved with the character and that Thank we're you. guys from we're all across the country. I mean, we have kids we have guys from all across the country that, that we I mean, we met because of Batman, because of our collections sure. and because of the uh -huh. character. And it's because it's thanks to creators like yourself who had such a huge impact on us and still do, um, to the point where I mean we have lasting friendships now because of you. You know, mm -hmm. I I've had guys from England, I've had a guy from Chicago come and stay at my house because of your influence on a character that we bonded over. Um, dude, you willed That's your great. wife. You willed your wife into your life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, boy. You're so, like, oh. I yeah. think he has some regrets about that. On no, time. never. <laughs> there, there, you make, uh, you know, there's, it, it, if like the cartoon industry has a Paul Bunyan or a Pecos Bill, I guess I'm him, you know, because <laughs> I do these larger than life things apparently. So every American industry has some sort of guy like folklore idiot <laughs> associated with them. So I guess, I guess I'm him for cartoon writing. Uh, we take, uh, we take was it, was it something therapeutic to, uh, to put this experience and everything that you were, that you were feeling, uh, all, all these thoughts that you were having privately to yourself to, to finally put that into a story that you were prepared to share with the world? Yes. Yeah, it really was. It was sort of like, uh, I don't know, throwing, throwing the one ring into the Mount Doom, you know, finally, okay, let me get rid of it. Yeah, there it goes. And I don't have to jump in with it either. I just sort of threw it in and it's all gone now. It's uh, It was hard. It was hard putting it down. You know, Misty will attest to that. There'd be nights I would be wandering around the house two, three in the morning, weeping and gnashing okay. my teeth and just, because I had ripped open the, the lid of Pandora's box and let all the mm. the evil out again. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's kind of always with me, but it's, you know, looking at it again and also we've been brought it in, into closer focus and also talking to people were part of my life at the time, like Alan Burnett takes a huge role in, in the story, both as my boss and as as my friend who who kind of uh, helps me along at places. And Eric Radomski, who I was working with at um, Ultimate Spider-Man and, and uh, the Hulk show for Marvel, I'd see him every day and I told him I was working on the book and he brought out some uh, uh, photos and some sketches that he had made during that time and we talked about 
what it was like and, you know, what he remembered of that time. And uh, so he was, and not only just about what I went through, but also little things about Warner Brothers at the time that I'd sort of forgotten or needed reminding of. And so it was really good to to talk to people at that time. And that, that helped it, it uh, helped me bring it back and remember things with a amount of accuracy and clarity. Yeah, it almost as if it's therapy, you know, just kind yes. of, yeah. yeah. Our therapist actually kind of, we go to couples therapy every once in a while just to stay healthy and also because it's nice to have a referee. Yes, that's, and, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. I, yeah. I, no, yeah. It, it's awesome, and it, and it keeps us healthy, I yeah. think, you know, because it makes us communicate and all the things that therapy does. But one of the things that she really did, mm-hmm. and one of the great services that Lauren did for us was she encouraged him to write that book, and she asked me, this is going to be, she explained to me, this is going to be very hard for him. And I said, clearly. And she said, are you okay with him writing this? And I said, I'm more than okay with it. And she said, why? And I said, because I know how that guy's story turns out. I said, I know that he's okay. And I know how it turns out in the end. And I know how he comes through all of this and where he ends up. And where he ends up is a pretty rad place. It's pretty good to be Paul Dini these days. Well, I would say so. Yeah. yeah, but that's the life well, that you created. Yeah, that's the life you created for yourself. Right. Kevin Smith is another reason that he yes. wrote this book. Big reason. Yeah. Um, Missy and I were on Kevin's one of Kevin's podcasts about four years ago. Kevin was doing a morning podcast with his wife Jen, and we're good friends with them. They had us on one day, and we're this morning we're chit- show. Yes, yeah, morning show, and we were chit chatting about various things, and then kind of out of the blue, Kevin says, "Tell me the mugging story." And I say, the money story, what, that old thing? And he goes, yeah, you know, you, you mentioned it to me once, but I don't think a lot of people know about it. And I went, I ran down a version of it, you know, a very quick version, like I just told you. And Kevin, after it was over, Kevin said, you know, if that had happened to me, I never would have left my house. And I just think I, I think that would have done me in. And I said, oh, you would have, uh, you would have been fine. And he goes, no, really, I, I don't think I would have been. And I, I couldn't really fathom that because I know Kevin you know, as the, 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 the funny guy who directed clerks and a bunch of other movies and the guy out there doing the, um, the, uh, the, 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 the shows in front of the audience and the TV shows. And so it, but then I started thinking, you know, if this does happen to somebody at some point in their life, that could, a lot of their life just might never be, that might shut them, shut down a very creative person who has dreams and goals. And, uh, because it might instill that fear in them. And I thought, you know, maybe this is a story worth telling because I want to encourage other people who've who've done some who've gone through situations exactly. like this, yes, or who might face that, and who might need to look not only to this story but to other but for other things for inspiration or ideas or you know uh, strength strength and through other stories of how they've dealt with a trauma or a setback in their life. Everybody deals with tragedy and trauma in different ways. My story is not you know, the, the, the darkest story out there, but it's my story. And I think every story is valid. So here, so here's mine. You know, that's a great point because I think that what people don't like admitting about themselves is when they're helpless and when they feel threatened and, um, without power. And I think something that keeps people quiet about that is they, they see people in the public eye or, you know, they see people that they look up to and they don't see that in them. But what you're doing is you're basically admitting that, that you have, I mean, you know, you're, you're looked on upon by many people. And so I think this is amazing for you to be kind of a story of inspiration to so many people that have been maybe through the same thing or something similar and who feel crippled, who feel crippled by it. But now Uh through your story, they see that there's kind of light at the end of the tunnel that you can continue to lead a life that doesn't have to be, you know, uh, defined by this one moment, you know, right. um, But use it more as kind of uh, strength, really. Um, Well, yeah, it's also, you know, there's such an emphasis now on 
on uh, bullying and and uh, and people, especially young people who deal with a couple of of um, you know tr- strong traumas early in their life, and they feel very desperate. They feel very alienated, whether or not they, you know, it's a parenting issue or they spend too much time in isolation on the internet. You look at some of a lot of people who are hurting themselves or hurting other people, and you don't know. You've lived so such a short part of your life. You don't know how good your life can be. And yeah, it sucks to be shot down by somebody you've got a crush on. Or yeah, you know, there are guys at school who are going to make it hard for you. But don't hurt yourself and don't hurt anybody else. It's a small chunk of your life. And I'll tell you what, I told this to, to a kid recently who asked me how to deal with bullies. And I said, look, for I won't lie to you, for the next two two years or so, your life may be pretty crappy, but those are only two years and it'll probably be less. And just remember, the people who are making your life shitty right now are probably just going to stay there. They're not going to move on. Their worlds are going to be so small compared to yours. Just ride it out as best you can. and Just have some faith in yourself well and, yeah. and the yeah, things awesome. are going to get better. Yeah. Awesome. Well said. Thank you. Coming out, finding the strength, you know, going through the life you did, um, you now have that person that you can come home to that that is that comfort for you in Misty. You yes. know, you have you have the individual that you were kind of searching for. Well, you, I don't think you realized it at the time that that's what you kind of wanted or um, were missing. And now you have that. And it's something that, yes. I, that I that it's so amazing is, you know, I was at the Batman Day um, event that you did. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's so cool is like it's Misty finds so much enjoyment in, in your work as well. Like you know, she she brought out the box of toys and she you know, was helping hand stuff out and it's just. Misty was amiga- very happy to get that stuff out of the house. Misty <laughs> 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 is wonderful. Misty uh, is the truth. In everything he does, but yeah. we, so we sometimes funny. sometimes we get boxes of those things yeah. that sit in the foyer. For if we can divest time. a crate of Harley Quinn stuff, then it's nothing makes me happier. <laughs> yes, there we go. I never get mail like that. <laughs> yeah. If, you're, if your house ever gets cluttered, I mean, I can give you guys my address. All right. So then give me your address. Yeah. That's, that's my wife not, might not be happy. The he trunk. separate cars that have a huge trunk just for his toys. That's the trunk. Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the trunkler right there. So, yeah, the trunkler's, uh, his uh, his little lights, his the eyes light up whenever he hears something about things, you know, things getting that he can get his hands on. My overflow action figures. I have a box of them in the trunk that are yes. for toys for tots, supposedly, but somehow they never made it. <laughs> <laughs> he, goes every year, he goes every year and buys toys for toys for tots and keeps all that shit. Yeah, I just, uh, that's, that's the new that's trick to keep name is Tots. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hold on, we're, everyone's taking notes down on this. Go on. Yes. The original oh, uh, Scott, that's, that's, like, that's genius. You just say that you're oh, buying them for toys. Yeah. Buying them for Look what you've toys done. For Scott. I know. Look what you've done. Uh, Still inspiring us. <laughs> yeah. Paul's probably not as bad as the trunkler because um, we told Paul this story. I think it was maybe at WonderCon. But uh, Scott, the trunkler, um, he actually, uh, you know, you know, he, he goes out and he finds things that he likes and he'll grab it and he'll bring it home. But the thing is, is obviously, you know, it's going to look like it's adding up. So he can't, he has to hide them. So the, the, the craziest thing Scott ever did was he had a newborn baby girl <laughs> and he decided while his wife, well, actually at the time, while his wife was in labor, he snuck in the animated series Batmobile and hid it under the crib <laughs> of his unborn child to hide from his wife. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know if you want to say a new high or a new low, but whatever it is, he did it. <laughs> so, Paul, you're good, but you're not that good. Oh, uh, uh, no. I don't know. Uh, shall we tell them about, about beacons? This no. man, you know, let's. Yes, let's yes, tell yes. them all about it. 
Paul has <laughs> how many? How many? Nine? Oh, six, seven. No, no, nine. Fourteen. <laughs> mm-hmm. Four, it is fourteen because <laughs> we just cleared out two. Yeah. Fourteen Uh-oh. volts at Beacons. No volts. Nine foot by six foot by twelve foot volts. Full of this stuff. Is a storage wow. facility? Yeah. Yes. It sure is. I am wow. the Charles Foster Kane of crap. In my single days, place? I went around the world buying shit and you know shipping it back home. You know, it's like, what's that? Oh, it's a giant wooden statue of the god Garuda. Okay, I'll I'll pay for that. Yeah, ship it home. And uh, <laughs> I got that and we were at Bali or Sumatra or yep. someplace like that. Behind him are some Balinese uh, theater masks. Oh yeah, they're there. And I and I have been the and, and they're just sitting in my office. You know, we've got a comedy and a tragedy, and they're awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm very pleased with some of his purchases. I mean, he's got a witch doctor's voodoo mask outside that, and he's like, oh, don't put that on. Don't put that on. It's cursed. It is cursed. <laughs> oh, wow. The witch doctor, I took, I took it from, put a curse on it, so nobody can wear that. What is anyway, that we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll tell that so, story another So, point. Trunkler, I feel her pain. Yes, let's tell them about the muskox the and the taxidermy. Okay. Let's tell them all about it. When, he hides when stuff Mist- in taxidermy? That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. No, no. He hides taxidermy. When Misty first visited my my old house, she walked in the door to be confronted by a muskox that was standing in the foyer. And it's like, what's this? And I said, it's... With a- its ass facing out oh, the yeah, front I'm- window. <laughs> <laughs> I could turn it around easily. He, he he had this big colonial house like here in LA, and and it's way on the top of a hill. It's like in this really fancy area, and so you come up, you have to walk up like thirty stairs to get to his front door, and when you finally get to his gr- his front door, you are greeted at the front door in the window by the ass of a full-bodied stuffed muskox. Tell them why you bought it. Well, I, uh, I I have a comic book character uh, that comes out at Christmas called Jingle Bell, and uh, Jingle Bell's pest. Yes. In a, in, uh, she's Santa Claus's daughter, and and um, where Santa has reindeer, Jingle Bell has a muskox because she thinks us muskoxes are uh, are better and tougher and and cuter. And my artist Stephen DeStefano wasn't really sure what a muskox looked like. I, we were communicating back and forth, and he goes, "Muskox is that sort of like a buffalo?" And I said. Well, I'll I'll send you some reference. So I had So instead of googling So instead, instead of, googling of putting on Muscox the Google image, you know, I found a uh, Explorers Club in Georgia that was selling one, a stuffed one. So I bought that, had it shipped out, took a picture of it, uploaded it to Steven and then just kept the damn And he took he took pictures of it with this 110 Kodak camera. Yeah, there you go. So it's not even like a good picture and Google would have been so much better, but now he's got this Muscox. Yeah. And hey, so it was Paul, uh, Paul. What, yes. what does a Ferrari look like? The Ferrari? What? Yeah, what does a Ferrari look like? Uh, I, I need to see what a Ferrari looks like, please. Oh, yeah. Oh, is that you need reference on a Ferrari? He wants an oh, Aston Martin. Send it over to me. It's <laughs> hilarious. He's saying um, he wants to work with you on a project so that you buy a Ferrari. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, 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 I get it. Oh, yeah. I, I'm his translator. Uh, let's see. There we go. That I would show. I would send you a picture of a Hot Wheels toy for. So, uh, okay. <laughs> the purse strings have been tied shut. Uh, no, no, the purse strings aren't tied. It's just not a dead animal. Yeah, that's the thing. He loves the dead animals that are stuffed. Love learning about animals. So you know, it was. It became like a like a thing. He so. actually used to sneak into classes at Harvard where he wasn't even attending school just to audit the taxiderm or the uh, biology animals, classes. Mammals. Yeah. yeah. Zoology. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Animal. That's and crazy. so occasionally this bizarre, you know, a bizarre piece of taxidermy would come up and 
you know, uh, it's like, oh, a hyena mount. Well, I need uh, that's a business write off. The Joker has hyenas. <laughs> I, I could do that. <laughs> My accountant go, uh, two hyena heads. It's like, oh, I can I can write those off. It's business. Okay, that and reminds me of a question I need to ask because sure. you know you are a big animal lover, animal activist, and and sure. this is explaining a lot. Is this why Harley Quinn has two hyenas? Yes. Because awesome. I like animals, basically. I, well, there are two reasons. One is I thought it would be fun just to throw them in there. And the other thing is, way back when I was a kid, there was a, the Joker had a very brief comic book series of his own. This was sometime in the mid or late 70s. And it only ran like about nine issues. And there was one that had a fight between him and the Scarecrow. And on the cover is the Joker just walking a hyena down the street like he's taking a dog for a walk. And the scarecrow is waiting to leap out at him. And I thought, that's really cool. That's fun. The Joker actually would do that. And in the story, that scene never actually happens. But I liked the imagery so much that it always sort of, you know, stuck it in my head like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm going to put that in somewhere. And uh, again, I like I like wild animals and the more bizarre, the better. So when it came time to do that, uh, I, I put it in. Uh, I don't think Bruce Tim cared for the hyenas all that much because he always claimed he had trouble drawing them. Like when we put him in Mad Love, he said, oh, I hate drawing animals. And I said, yeah, you do it so well. I mean, you draw, you can draw the Looney Tunes when, when you have to, and you draw, you know, all these other things. And he just said, eh, I just, I just don't, I just don't like drawing them. But um, <laughs> he did a great job with them. And I thought the hyenas were, were always a lot of fun. What are your thoughts now on uh, Margot Robbie taking up the uh, character in live action? Well, she seems to like the character a lot. Every time I open a magazine, there she is talking about, how much fun she's having and that she wants to do a solo Harley movie. And uh, I just look at Time Magazine just before we got on here. There was a whole article about women in movies this summer, and there was a whole piece on Harley in there. And uh, it's talking mostly about her and, again, how much she loves the character and wants to do more with her. And I say, go, girl, do it. You know, do yeah. as many of those as you can do. I think that I think it's great. It it's I love the fact that she has embraced the character so much and put such a personal spin on it because a lot of times you'll hear like an actor will say, yeah, I'm playing some superhero. I don't really know what he does. They just give me the lines and I say it, but to actually mm -hmm. know the, the performer is invested in, and really likes the character so much is very gratifying. Paul, when you look at Margot, do, do you see Harley in her? Does, did they cast on point or what do you think? Yeah. You know, I, I see Harley in a lot of people. I, I mean, Harley has sort of become this, you know, not unlike Harlequin itself, which is sort of a spirit of, of uh, madness and, and frivolity and, and, and fun, kind of anybody can be Harlequin, like the classic Camita Dell'Arte Del uh, Harlequin. Right. So Harley Quinn, I see so many people, male and female, who have embraced what she is. And um, mostly it's female, but I've seen a couple of guys who really pull off the look, and whether it's in the jester <laughs> costume or... I knew a producer last year who did the Margot Robbie look, and he looked flawless. And they just loved the idea of, of of being that character who can be a total goof. I think she's sort of on her way to becoming uh, like a like a postmodern Peter Pan, you know, that both boys and mm -hmm. girls can be, or at least imbue a bit of that spirit. So I really, um, I think that Mar that Margot has really got the flavor of, of especially that iteration of Harley they're doing is more of a street version, more of a, a real world version. Right. And I think, you know, that that's, that's great. Just as there's now a little girl version of Harley, there's the classic Harley. There's, there's every, every type of Harley you can imagine. We were in Paris at a, at a, um, 
at a convention uh, in April and just walking across the the dealer's room, there was steampunk Harley, there was ballerina Harley, there was uh, bombshell Harley. There, and, and there was like a sea of, I, I could look out and there were all these mallets, you know, popping, <laughs> giant mallets, you know, popping out of the crowd. Like everybody had one and they were sticking up like giraffe necks. And uh, I think, oh, it's, that's terrific that they, they see so much in that character. You know, 20 some odd years ago, you've given birth to this, character that has been turned into a phenomenon beyond probably anyone's dreams i mean what, what mm-hmm. if you could just like sum it up to how you process that how, how would you go about it because it's just she she's just colossal and continues to become more and more fully ingrained in pop culture um i look at that and i say it's a start and I, i'm very <laughs> encouraged I'm very encouraged that people embrace the character so much, and it just encourages me to do more and more of that. I feel like awesome. Harley's Harley's number one. Wait till number two and number three and number four, and they're coming. It may take a couple of years to get out there, but I'm definitely working on oh. a bunch of other stuff. I love the process of creation. I love writing characters that have been around for a long time, like Batman and a bunch of others. But I love the process of creation, whether it's a character that you know will someday appear in a cartoon or is in, even is just in three or four issues of an independent comic. I, I just love that process. And it's not like everyone I'm, I'm counting on or even want everyone to be Harley Quinn. It's just like I love the creation process. And when you love what you do and you love your characters, I think they're bound to become successful at some point or other people will see what you love about them too. You're talking about Harley and creating. How about Tower Prep? And uh, did you ever have any thoughts of maybe kind of um, going back to that and kind of pursuing it in a different medium? Well, I would love to, and fans would love to, but unfortunately that's a closed door for me right now because uh, Cartoon Network went through a period after they, you know, they put their toe into live action. They just slammed the door and they said, no, never again. This is in the vaults. Don't even bring it up. We're, you know, we own it. We don't. We're, we're 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 doing other sh- other stuff now. We're we're just doing straight cartoons, and every time I've um, brought it up to them, it's always greeted either by it's either been rebuffed or just silence. And uh, so I got to wait another fifteen years till the kids who saw it when they were ten grow up to be twenty five, and then they can get into positions of power in Hollywood and then demand that they do it or something mm-hmm. like that. So I had I don't think we've seen the last of Tower Prep simply because just about everything comes around again. And um, it's kind of it, 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 it floors me that with uh, Netflix and Hulu and everything that Cartoon Network is still adamant, like it never be seen again. We never want it out there. And I'm going like, OK, well, now it's no longer a danger to your cartoon schedule. I know I understand before you were afraid like, oh, it's either going to be this or Adventure Time. But now just you can do it someplace else where it's not even where you own the thing, but it's done in another um, platform for a different audience. But they absolutely, it's like they throw up a cross in front of it. No, never, never, never talking about those live action shows again. It was based on my old prep school, only in a fantasy way. And, where uh, children with special powers were in this preparatory school that, and they didn't know why at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were being prepped for something and you don't know if they're, and there'd be little betrayals and secrets all, all revealed. And this was all something that Cartoon Network was very enthusiastic about. because, And when they got the first scripts, they said, great, we've kind of cracked the Harry Potter thing. We've kind of cracked where they're doing, what they're doing with, um, you know, Hunger. There's a sort of continuity to things like Hunger Games and Harry Potter that builds on mystery and character relationships. And they were delighted with it. And then uh, Adventure Time came on and got tremendous ratings. And suddenly they went, what? 
what are we doing? We're we're Cartoon Network. We got to do more cartoons, and they they abandoned it. So unfortunately, but it's still. I guess you can still see it on iTunes or someplace like that. Yeah, it's available on digital platforms. You can you can buy it on iTunes. Um, um there's a couple other mediums. I think Amazon Video might have it as well. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely I, I out think there. so. And uh, yeah, I, I just don't. It was it was very unfortunate because it was almost like full on panic once the shows got on the air. They just had no idea what they were doing. And uh, I had a I had a meeting with uh, another production. Um, another studio not long ago and I've been talking to them about a project that I'm really excited about but I can't talk about and they said when we saw Tower Prep we thought we were in real trouble because that would have been a cannonball into what we were doing and I gotta say when they pulled it we were so relieved and I said well thanks I guess but the (laughs) fact that they're maybe buying another show from me is is very encouraging so Mm. Awesome. Oh, just a quick reminder to subscribe to Bat Force Radio for all of your Batman and DC comics slash DC entertainment needs. Bat Force Radio over on iTunes and or SoundCloud. Let's get back. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, and you're listening to Bat Force Radio, so stay tuned. Paul, you um heavily involved with the writing of Arkham Asylum. Mm-hmm. and the Arkham City video games. How were you first approached by Rocksteady to write those? And then also, how was that writing process different from your other work, whether it be comics or the TV series? Well, the Arkham uh, Arkham games were kind of an interesting process. A lot of that was started off by uh, John Nee, who was working for uh, DC at the time and has since gone on to, to do some other things, some other really terrific game-related things. And um, he sort of was the first one to sort of forge a, uh, a like a, a meeting between myself and Warner Interactive because they were doing the they wanted to do these games with Rocksteady and it made DC better it put DC at ease to know that there was somebody who that they knew and they trusted to be kind of their point guy for the story on the Batman game. So I was one that um, was approved of by just about everybody. And I went in and met with the Rocksteady team, and we all hit it off really well together and with the Warner Interactive. And we agreed that what we wanted to do with the games was a world that was not too dissimilar from the animated series world, but not, you know, not with, but probably a little more darker, more hard edged than that, but a world that really pulled from all different elements of Batman's history so that it was the classic villains. And it was classic Gotham City and a classic take on Batman, Bruce Wayne. And the voices from the animated series fit very well into that into that world. So it made a nice transition where it was the look was definitely not the animated series, but it was like a more hardcore grown-up version visually of, of that. And it, the artist brought a very terrific sensibility to the design, which really kind of gave it a, a, a darker, creepier, more gothic look. And the writing was pretty intense for that. It was it was very labor uh, intensive because you've got to write everything like four or five times over in, in in different scenes. So if Batman comes in, goes to the left and talks to a guard, he'll say, "Where's the Joker?" He'll come in, go to the right, and say, "Where's Joker been here?" or something like that. You're writing almost the same thing, but and that's propelling the story on a little bit in through the cutscenes and in the action. So it involved a lot of writing. I also worked very heavily with Paul Crocker, who was uh, Rocksteady's head of develop of story over there, and uh, and Sefton Hill, the director. And it involved 
me going over to London several times during the course of each game to plot out story elements. We had the basic story worked out pretty much in advance of doing the game, but occasionally we would get into areas where, you know, we'd have a better idea for more gameplay or we'd want to bring in a certain villain and we wouldn't wind up, we, we wouldn't throw out the overarching story, but we'd find room to enhance things a bit. And uh, so it was pretty fair. You know, it was kind of like writing an animated movie, like for a Disney or a DreamWorks where you've got the basic story structure worked out or the, the storyline. And yet through the writing process and the storyboarding process, you're always refining things or changing things around or finding a better way to tell the story. So both of those experiences were pretty intensive as far as the writing goes and the time involved with it. It was, it was fun though. This, the, uh, the games were a lot of fun and it was very gratifying to see them come together because it really looked up like, it really looked like something that had not been done up until that time. What did you think the first time it was like finished and you got to play it? I just went, wow. <laughs> I mean, this is really, I mean, it was like seeing the same feeling I got when I looked at the first few episodes of the animated series. It's yes. Like, yes, yeah. it's Batman. Yes, it's a familiar world, but it's what I felt was a very good take on things that you had seen before. And that, and it, it, that made it very fresh also like the Tim Burton movies, you know, mm. like when somebody takes something classic and they bring in a lot of their passion for it and their, um, their talent and everything you can, you're, you're telling something different. I think that was what really made the Arkham games different, and it certainly made it different from the other types of video games they had been trying to develop around that time and for whatever reason had, had fallen by the wayside. When you're writing that, are you telling the artist or the developers specifically what you want each scene to be like or what the characters more so should look like in your it, mind as you're writing it? In, in certain in certain ways, yes. And when it would when we get into certain character specifics, I would have suggestions for the way uh, you know a character might look if we were going to change their outfit, like with Poison Ivy or Harley Quinn or or something. I might say, well, it would be fun to put Harley in a nurse outfit or something, and not the usual jester's outfit. Or she's got you know wearing a guard's hat or something like that. Mm-hmm. These are very general suggestions. And then the it's up to the director and the um, the visual team to render that or go with what works best for them. In uh, in terms of the gameplay and in the action, a lot of that is worked out kind of in advance between myself and the uh, director before I actually get to the scripting phase. For instance, like you know, we'll say, okay, we want to have a um, an underground sequence with uh, you know in the sewers, or we want to do this or that, you know, based on what they the game people feel is going to make a great uh, game experience and also what makes an interesting visual that they can that they can render you know a lot of things a lot of times i can write something and then the they'll say well we really don't know how to stage that action i mean this this action for a game is is very hard to do and even for animation it's it, you know we'd have to you know it'd be very time consuming so so they you, tell you what abilities and what devices and stuff like that and then you would go back and take take those yeah. ideas and write the script to that yeah i mean okay. and, and there'd be things that we just wanted to that we would want to put in and it just for whatever reason it, it was never feasible for instance i I wanted to have uh, the Batmobile in the games earlier than in Arkham Knight, and it just wasn't putting the element of, of the same level of play that we had in um, that they had in the Arkham Knight game was just not possible when we did the the first two games. So 
a lot of the Batmobile stuff was just left out. You see him driving it, but it, the, the interactive element was not there. And I, in the second game, there was, there were a few elements that we wanted to put in that, that I thought would be fun. Like, like a flying element. We had two characters, we had Roxy rocket and we had man bat. And we were thinking, wouldn't it be fun to do an element where Batman is, gets a grapple around bat, uh, man bats legs and flies over the city or he takes Roxy's rocket and has to fly it or something. And that's all great stuff to put in animation. But it just, you know, for the 10 minutes we considered for the game, it's just like, no, that's just not going to work. Mm. It's, it's, it's almost, it, you're almost going too far into animation because there's no play element to that. It's just him doing something. And if he has to get around the city, that's what the grappling hook is for. Uh, when you mentioned the possibility of having him uh, dangling from Man Bat, I immediately... Uh remembered the scene from on leather wings when that was exactly happening that's what we were going for we really <laughs> wanted to do those that episode in particular was a terrific episode with them diving around the the balloons and and through the uh, the the building and everything it was just tremendous and i really wanted to get a flying sequence in there and likewise in uh, the ultimate thrill when batman and roxy are on the on the rocket and they're having their kind of sexy showdown. I thought maybe it would be fun to do something like that. But again, you know, you're talking about building, spending a lot of time and money building characters that, that are not really that integral to the gameplay and that are kind, that are cool, but more of a distraction than from what's going on in the, you know, in, in the game itself. So I don't know if there, there's always chances to stick those in other games, I guess. Mr. Freeze and, and your heart of ice story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to tell you, Mr. Freeze is probably one of my favorite classic villains, so I really appreciate Heart of Ice. Oh, I want to you. tell you that personally. Thanks he made much. Mr. Freeze awesome. Oh, Dude, Mr. Freeze is, thanks to you, I, I love Mr. Freeze. He did. No, no, thank you. Waiting on someone to yeah. write a good Freeze. <laughs> Scott Snyder? Yeah, in the comics. Yeah, that was that was the last origin story that Mr. Freeze ever needed. Uh, it, yeah. It should have you should have just been left with that story forever. Yeah. Well, when when I was a kid, I had a Batman record like the, it was a soundtrack to the TV show, and I used to play it a lot. And there was like dialogue from one of the Mister Freeze episodes, and it's just him talking about eating dessert. He's going, "Oh, Batman, try the baked Alaska. It's very good." And I'm going, "One, why is Batman eating dinner? And two, what the hell is baked Alaska?" And my mother said, "Well, it's kind of ice cream with cake, and you heat it up in the oven." And I'm going, "Like, is that even possible? What? It sounded so stupid. And why is Batman eating it?" So. I always kind of, Mr. Freeze was interesting to me for that sort of element because he seemed so dumb and he had a polar bear in his hideout, which is actually sort of cool. But, well, you um, like animals and Mr. Freeze, polar bear, that, that goes hand yeah. in hand. Paul Dini also has a bear in his hideout. Well, oh, yes, you're about is. to have a polar bear in your hideout. <laughs> well, no, it's, a, it's, it's not a, a grizzly, bear. But it's a California grizzly stuffed in our living room and I hate it so much I gave it a tray of lollipops. Yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be great for Halloween. Mm -hmm. Shut up. It's always Halloween here. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, when we were coming up with ideas for Mr. Freeze, uh, I thought, you know, it would be great if, 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 if he's dead to emotion, then he's got to have some Achilles heel. And once we figure out what that is and we can actually make him emotional or, or, or force him to, to cry or weep or, or, or break down, that's a terrific character. So Bruce and I went back and forth over what that would have been. Um, we came up with the with the grieving over his wife, which is actually, you know, that that's something that's it's a little Phantom of the Opera. It's a little abominable Doctor Fives. It's a little, 
you know, hammer British cinema, but it all works for him. It's also a little bit of, um, there's a, there's a Japanese movie I love a lot called, uh, Kwaidan, which is, has a sequence about two peasants caught in the snow and there's a snow woman who, and I thought, and, and it doesn't really hark to that, but there is a sort of, it isn't really a parallel to that directly, but there's a lot of image haunting imagery of the snow and freezing and loneliness and lost love and somehow a little bit of that found its way in there. And how, how did you come up with the chicken soup part? <laughs> I just, it's just dumb. <laughs> it's just, uh, I mean, it's the like the only way to fight a cold just is with chicken true. soup. I just true. thought it's like, what well, was that moment when you see him reaching for the thermos, the audience is going to go, Oh no, really? Yes. And he cracks it with the thermos. And the chicken soup. But Batman says that's the best way to fight a cold. So Batman, you know, straddles the, the, the line sometimes between being really cool and being kind of kind of silly and a little bit but I thought if we could sort of make it more 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 fun than silly then then we've got something kind of well, there but well, the mature uh, theme the episode was so heavy with loss and tragedy I mean that, mm-hmm. that was a good little break of tension right there I think as well so it's maybe you know well, the voice actor was great too oh, yes yeah, the guy's was name he was awesome who's that who was the voice actor who uh, Kevin who did the uh, no no who did Mr. oh Freeze. oh oh uh michael and Sarah. i think he passed away now he yeah, did he did he died sad. about two years ago yeah. yeah he was terrific and he kept wanting to put more emotion into the voice and i said he's emotional when he's victor freeze and he's you know gonna lose his wife but as mr freeze he's got to be dead it's got to be mm. yeah. it's got to be just bitter and cold for it Nora. to work Nora. Nora. <laughs> <laughs> I borrow the name Nora from Ibsen from a doll's house. You know, the idea of a woman who sort of kept and idealized and contained and, you know, kind of held up as a, almost like a little doll. And uh, it, all, it all kind of worked. Mm-hmm. And weird little references for that, that and episode. It's pretty much seen as the definitive Freeze origin yeah. to this day. Yeah, you know. I hear they did something similar to it with Goth- on Gotham, and they or they used some elements of that in there. Think about that. Arnold Schwarzenegger has has acted out that origins. Yeah, I watched <laughs> him do it. You watched him do it in person. I watched him do it. I was I was on, I was on the set that day. I took my nephew on the set when oh it was like seven or eight at the time. He's sitting Wait, there. Can like, we have a moment for what it's like to be Uncle Paul? I, I was going to say he picked up Arlene Sorkin's kids in the Mystery Machine. He borrowed it from Warner Brothers and went and picked up Eli Lloyd. Arlene no. Sorkin's son and was like let's go for a ride in the mystery machine for your birthday who no, does it? Hanukkah. It Happy Hanukkah, Hanukkah. We're, and we're, then we're... he sent the kids <laughs> what did you send them? What head did you send Doors them? Doors open oh, alligator. smoke comes he, billowing he out. Sent them, he sent them an alligator head from overseas Yeah. and then he takes his, his nephew now goes to Comic Con with him every year and I mean, how cool is it to go to Comic Con with Paldini uh, if you're not Misty Lee? Uh, and um, <laughs> and then and oh, then, and then, and when then they were Maddie, making... when they were making the Batman movie, he took Matt. I took Matt, and there was a whole scene of of uh, they were shooting the scene of of Arnold looking at, at Nora in the tank and and everything. It was re- it was really awesome watching him do that. I was feeling like, wow, that's kind of kind of neat watching it come to life. I felt the same thing recently when I saw some clips of Suicide Squad where there's. Joker and Harley in a purple car and Batman's banging on the roof trying to get in. Oh, yeah. I called up Alan Burnett and I said, look at this online. How, how often have we done this in the show? Yeah. Three I can remember off the top of my head. And um, But Arnold was was really nice. And, and George Clooney, even though he wasn't filming that day, he was on the set and he took my nephew around and showed him everything. So he actually had Batman taking him around wow. the set, showing him things. It was really, it was awesome. That's outstanding. 
Yeah, I think I think Clooney would. I mean, if you did like a people are always giving Clooney shit, but I think he'd make a great Batman now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, seasoned. Well, grizzled. he's a real life Bruce Lane. Yeah, yeah, he is. seriously, he is. You know, I, I would have. Um, I, there was a time very, very briefly where Alan Burnett and I were, were working on a Batman Beyond project and uh, for a movie, and then that went south. And oh. then we were, then they said, well, what about a regular Batman movie? And we had an idea. And um, and we would have been absolutely fine with George continuing the role because our attitude was like, look, you know, Roger Moore made a couple of stinkers. Man with a Golden Gun isn't that great. But then he made Spy Who Loved Me, which was great. So let's do that. And it, the execs kind of had a hard time thinking about that but you know and then they weren't really sure what to do with batman so that's why you know we never we never went any farther with the idea than we did but uh, you gotta you gotta do that now i mean at, at one point when maybe ben's done that's that's the next step is going batman beyond with i it, think you when know. ben's done i'm done <laughs> i feel like ben is the one nearest to the batman adam animated series i think he's i think he's very close to a lot of versions of batman and i think he, I know that he has a deep affection for the character. I've actually talked to him myself about it on a couple of, of occasions, and he just loves the character, he loves comics, has a big fondness for Batman, and he really thinks about the character and the world a lot. And when he was um, cast in Batman versus Superman, I was very happy, and I, you know, I was just so happy to see that he was going to take the role. And I really am looking forward to whatever he's got cooked up as far as the solo Batman movie. I think. Um, you know, the, you know, if he gets to write it or he writes it with Jeff Johns or he's got, you know, a lot of serious input. In it, and I think I have no idea what it's going to be about or even if it's going to be 100 percent. But I was very excited to hear that um, that he was taking a hand in it, just like I was happy to hear that Margot was taking a hand in in a potential Harley Quinn movie. If, if you've got a performer who's got that so much affection for the character, then. I think they're going to treat the character right. After she knew she got the role, she went out and and bought a bunch of Harlequin books. Yeah. Dedicated. Ben's history uh, of success with writing and directing films. He's, he's won awards for both of those. Uh, this could, Him uh, writing and directing a Batman film could be the first time that we see a superhero film get uh, some award uh, attention. I wouldn't be surprised. They might be waiting for the right time to to finally give consideration to to one of the superhero movies. That would be a real, you know, why not? Yeah, every once in a while they'll give it to a western. You know, they gave it to Unforgiven. They've given it to other other westerns in the past, and it's uh, superheroes are are kind of an extension of, you know, the western in a more fantasy uh, situation. I just think. You know, Birdman. You know, was practically a superhero movie. So uh, loved it, amazing. Well, it had yeah. it had some elements of that in it. So I think, you know, when you get that perfect synthesis of emotion, of the synthesis of emotion and imagination, it's great. I think people tend to forget. You know, okay, it's a guy in a cape and a mask, or at least they should. It's it's made the best picture win. And if it's if it if it takes you to another place, and it's a fantasy, well, why not? Lord of the Rings won. So beautiful. So could Batman. <laughs> Meow. This is Selena Kyle. Some call me Catwoman. And when I'm not pulling the perfect crime-snatching diamonds, along with Batman's heart all over Gotham, I'm curled up next to my kitty and listening to Bat Force Radio. But We put up a post on social media of okay. questions to ask you guys. Um, 
that we wanted to get to and make sure that some of them get guessed. Um, Misty, what is some stuff that I know you mentioned you can't talk about some things that you've maybe just done recently, but is there anything coming down the line that you can talk about right now? Yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, we've got uh, Red Sonia just dropped. I just <gasps> did a. Yeah, we just did a. It, it comes out. It's, I think it's right, available for pre-order now. Uh, Shout Factory did a glorified motion comic, so it's it's in between full animated and motion comic. And I played Red Sonia, and that was oh, rad. Nice. That that just came out. I think they just made the announcement two days ago. Yeah, yeah. Can you two do days some ago, of her so voice real quick. Fresh. She sounds an awful like me. So oh, okay. an awful lot like me. So <laughs> it's, it's, she's she's a little bit tougher, and I think she's a little more world weary. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. She's well, not much different. We're definitely going to check that out. Aunt May and Squirrel Girl episodes yeah. coming. So. More Aunt May and Squirrel Girl. She's coming. <laughs> and um, oh, I love the Squirrel Girl. You just did your last Squirrel Girl like a couple of weeks ago, didn't? Uh, I'm not allowed to talk about that. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> um, uh, shove uh, some nuts in my mouth. Going all weird. Kids are listening, Paul. Please, big kids. You know, um, they actually gave her that in the Lego video game. I played her and uh, I played one of her. I get to do unbeatable Squirrel Girl, which is the better of the two, I think. Um, but she they actually had a line that said, I'm here to eat nuts and kick butts. And I said, oh, my gosh, we're allowed to say that. And they were like, oh, yeah. So that was pretty rad. That's her catchphrase. Yeah, it is. Can you say that for us right now? What? I'm hanging it. I'm here to eat nuts and kick butts. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's a drop. You know, actually, Paul Dini, Paul Dini, the great and powerful Paul Dini sitting here, named one of her squirrels, oh, God. Mr. Lieberman, after an old man who groped me when I was doing Wheels on Wheels. That's some trivia nobody knows. And the very first one where, where Squirrel Girl is prominently featured in the first uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, she's throwing squirrels out of her tail at, at the juggernaut, and she's going, Tippy Toes, Monkey Joe, Mr. Lieberman, go get that juggernaut. And Misty goes, Mr. Lie- Mr. Lieberman. I was reading the script, because usually you get the script the day of, and I'm like, Mr. Lieberman, Paul Rickandini. And the whole, the whole play, because he had talked about it in the writer's room, they knew this little old man came oh, to the door, shit. and he was like, he used to come to the door all the time, and I'd give him a hug as he would leave. And this one particular day, Stanley Lieberman. I Lieberman. I will Which never. Which is Stanley's real name? Right. Yes. <laughs> well, it's Lieberman. Lieber. Stanley yeah. Lieber. Right so, now, right. so I mean, it's sort of named after Stan Lee, but it was Stanley Lieberman was this Meals on Wheels dude. And <laughs> I, I mean, I'm delivering Meals on Wheels because I'm new to California. I don't have any friends. I figured I'd volunteer and make some friends. Yeah. Comes to the door and his elbows are like stuck to his waist today, and I'm like, "What's wrong with this guy?" I said, "You feel okay?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I feel all right. My arthritis is acting up, or whatever." Takes his bag, keeps his elbows where. They are sets it down. I give him a hug. His hand is in the perfect place to grab my boob. Wow! And I was oh, like, man. "Are you serious?" So I call Renee Gearlings. She's one of my best friends, and I call her, and she's like, "I tell her what happens," and she goes, "Oh, can you can you hold on a second? I said, "Yeah." She puts the phone down, and I hear. <laughs> <laughs> and then she comes back and goes, Are you okay? Mr. Lieberman cops said, I'm going to whoop your ass. So I get groped by this old man, and now he is for, forever immortalized as one of Squirrel Girl squirrels because Paul Dini thought it was so damn funny. That's hilarious. How long was Mr. Lieberman plotting that, I wonder? <laughs> oh, well, at least a week. He died, man. he died soon after because that's what you get when you cross oh, this. Well, he probably died. It's magic. Yeah, he died happy, probably. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Uh, I don't even care. Uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I do. He was a nice old man. He used to always come to the door, like when I was delivering his Meals on Wheels in his tracksuit, like he had swagger, and he'd be like, I had a dream I took you lingerie shopping. Oh my God! Oh like, man! Oh. Ninety years old. Ninety year old man. He's dead. He's dead. Guys, I'm taking notes over here. Lingerie shopping. B ninety. Is redstone you just dropped? And uh, the answer to that is like, okay, just give me money, I'll go shopping, and I'll. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> no, I would not take money no, I, from an old man. No. So uh, anyway, that's my deal. Paul's got this book coming out. He's yeah. also uh, Tom and Jerry Return to Oz today. Oh yeah, that's fun. I, um, I coming out every today. once in a while I do something for Warner's. It's just just pure cartoon. And uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote a script which is Tom and Jerry Return to the Land of Oz. They did a, a Tom and Jerry uh, Wizard of Oz before that. So now this is sort of like an animated sequel to the Wizard of Oz, where they have the um, rights to the characters and the likenesses and the and even some of the music from the original Wizard of Oz that was dropped from the final film we took that and and um and did uh, new animated versions of that found a different found different ways to use uh, musical numbers that were cut from the original and it's a lot of fun i love working with Spike Brant and Tony Cervoni they're two reigning funny guys over there we worked together on uh, Duck Dodgers and uh uh Looney Tunes and uh, a lot of stuff um the Yogi Bear feature that'll never get see the light of day, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. so, it was a good script. That was a really guys. that was it's one of my really favorite scripts script. I ever wrote for Warner's and they were gonna do an animated uh, uh, Yogi Bear feature after the live action movie came out and, and then they never went ahead with the sequel, so the animated feature It's a bummer, man. It's just how things get locked in a vault like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really good script. Too. I mean we we they had figured out a way to do the look of like nineteen fifty nine old Huckleberry Hound episodes. And and do that look, but with better animation. And it, it, I saw some of the artwork; it looked just stunning. And they got some near perfect voice matches, and then it just went Phew, like it, it happens occasionally. Wow. Um. What? Okay. So let's let's field some really quick uh, fan questions. Favorite Tiny Toon Adventures character? Oh. Uh. Me. Yeah. Uh, who's your favorite. Um. I have to say Plucky Duck because Joe just died. Yes. Nice. Yep, Plucky. <laughs> Plucky Duck. My favorite episode is the Happy Worldland episode. Yeah. Um, Taron Killam. He can sing the entire Happy World's Land song. We went oh out boy. to dinner one night and he sang the whole thing. Lyrics I had forgotten. And it's like, you really love that. And he goes, it was my favorite cartoon growing up. So. Oh, it's amazing. Amazing cartoon. Yeah. yeah that, that episode specifically. It was like a tour. Was it a two or three part episode, I think? They cut it into like three parts, but it, we wrote it as a, uh, again, as like a, a direct-to-video feature. And it has an episodic nature, so it made it easy to kind of cut up and, and do his three episodes. Yeah, so beautiful. Um, Scott let's see what... wanted to ask Paul how you initially created Harlequin. Oh, sure. Um, it was, I was writing a script called Joker's Favor. I was actually not even on, uh, on staff at Warner's when it happened. I had taken some time off to work on a movie, and Alan Burnett had come and, and taken over um, writing and producing the, the show. And he liked my work on Tiny Toons and, and a few other places. And I had never worked with him before, but he said, would you write a couple of freelance episodes while you're, you know, while you're doing the movie? So I wrote Heart of Ice and then I wrote Joker's Favor. And when I wrote Joker's Favor, I thought, well, Joker always has a gang. What if there's a girl in the gang? And I 
kind of went back and forth over what kind of a girl it should be. And I thought, well, it would be fun to do kind of a callback to the 60s hench girl mall type character. And um, I was I, I was homesick at, at one point when I was writing and my friend Arlene Sorkin was on Days of Our Lives playing a jester. And I thought, well, maybe a character like that, kind of a little, it's got a little Judy Holiday to her, kind of a little bit of the, the bubbly blonde gone wrong character. And I just liked the name Harley, Harley Quinn. And I, and I thought Harley's a fun name. And, and a lot of Batman names are kind of fun, uh, puns or, you know, strange in some way indicative of, of who the character is. So I just wound up calling her Harley Quinn. And, and that was that. And, uh, and then Dr. Harleen Quinzel came right. from Arlene. She's oh, named yeah. after Harley, uh, Arlene Sorkin, who, you know, basically created the character. Yeah. So I thought, well, if she had as a real name, well, Harleen is a real name, sort of a no, real name. <laughs> well, yeah, very few people actually have it, but uh, but Harleen was close enough, and then Francis is Harleen's real middle name, so Harleen Francis Quinzel. Doctor, I didn't Quinzel. even know Harley had a middle name. Yeah, she does, and uh, and then I needed a name that would shorten to Quinn, and I had a professor at Emerson College named uh, Professor Quinzel, so I just used his name and shortened it. Nice. So after seeing her perform on TV, you you. Did you purposely go get her to portray her in the animated series? Yeah, I thought it would be sort of fun. We were, you know, we've been friends since college and, you know, close by. uh, I said, you want to do this? And she said, yeah, that sounds like fun. I've never done a voice before, but sure. So she came in and had a lot of fun doing the part. And and I think because she hadn't done voice work or at least a lot of voice work, there was sort of a, you know, let's try it attitude to her voice. And And it sounded very fun and very honest and uh and the directors really fell in love with the character and and before long uh directors like dan reba and kevin l terry were saying hey when do i get a harley episode and <laughs> so we said oh we'll bring her back every once in a while but then it got to be more and more of a thing and before you knew it she was a, uh, you know she'd become a, a a star villain in her own right it's fantastic the rest is history <laughs> that's a real gasser huh mr j yeah pretty much um this one's for both of you guys. Uh, this is a cool question. What is your favorite character design drawn by Bruce Tim other than Harley? The Paul Dini in our hallway. Oh, oh God, yes. <laughs> I was actually... You want oh, me to take a picture of it with my cell phone and email it to you? Don't guys? please. Wow, so cute. Dare. Oh, it's... Gossamer. I'm a monolith. Yeah, I look like Gossamer. <laughs> he drew Paul as Gossamer. Can I take a minute? Paul, you're breaking up. You're breaking oh, up, I'm going to take a picture. Better. I'm going to go wait for a minute. He's going to let me send it. He's going to let me send it. Hold on, hold on. It's going to be our profile pic. Yes. I'm getting a tattoo of it. Designs other than than me, I would have to go with uh, Hawk Girl. Actually, I really I really thought his design for Hawk Girl, both in the Justice League and in the later episodes when she wasn't a full when she had kind of ditched the Thanagar outfit. I thought, for whatever reason, that was just a really interesting and compelling design. He got a lot of emotion out of that character, and I when I saw Hawk Girl both in the costume and out, I just said. Man, she's a really terrific. Uh, it's a really terrific take on that character. So, Hawk Girl, I guess, would would be. Yeah, he's be he's a master at bringing out emotion in, in in the designs that he has, and it's just beautiful. It's um, so funny. I mean, you know, he does he does humor like nobody can. Just uh, you know, everything when he when he's when he does a humor story, it's you know, it's just always spot on. Like the Harley and Ivy comic that we did together, and some of the solo stuff he's done. It's just you know, he he really captures that sense yeah, of humor. Yeah, it's. 
and it's almost like um, the fine line between like drama and comedy. Like he he does it with art, his art so well. Mm-hmm. You know, like I saw like a maniacal Joker that he did who had like a Tommy gun, and he's like throwing his head back and cackling and shooting the Tommy gun off, and it looks insane. Like it looks oh yeah you know, scary and insane. But then you're right, you know, you can do like the Harley, uh, the Ivy and Harley, you know, stuff where they're they're being really silly and cute, and it's like. And it's insane to think that it's the same, you know, uh, artist doing the work. Some of the best artwork associated with Batman never wound up on the show. It's when we were doing the show way back in the uh, early 90s, the walls were just festooned with with cartoons that <sighs> Bruce and Kevin Altieri and Shane Glines and Darwin Cook would all Darwin do. And they, they would just wow. try and top each other with, with cartoon after cartoon. And there were great cartoons. Like I remember this one of, Superman just kind of standing there with his with his arm up and kind of with a little bit of a shit-eating grin on his face. And, like, he just tapped something really gently. And then you see, like, Thor halfway, you know, stuck out of a side of a building and swearing. Like, it, it just said that, that great... We draw all the characters together. Spider-Man, Thor, the Fantastic Four. Wow. It was always nonstop cartooning and and the and the, the cartoons were always great when when they would put them around the around the hall a lot of them you could never reproduce because they like they mix the marvel and the mm. dc characters sometimes we go to comic-con and after um after dinner or something we just go into somebody's room and just and everybody would just have a a, a cartoon uh contest drawing a cartoon drawing contest somebody would call out a name like catwoman and everybody would do oh my god you know, great drawings of Catwoman and I'd just be sitting there drawing because I'd draw like a stick figure with a couple of whiskers and go, here's mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, all that artwork, I mean, they would call out the most obscure characters and and, it was was really terrific. Paul, you mentioned mentioned Darwin Cook a little bit. Um, We just had an episode a couple weeks ago dedicated basically just to him. Any words or thoughts um, about his impact and, and, you know, about his passing? I was heartbroken when I when I heard. I mean, he was he was such a terrific guy and he such a talent and um just a wonderful soul. I mean, I worked with him a lot on the new Batman and Superman adventures. He did he did so much great stuff. He did he boarded a lot of the uh, the Roxy Rocket episode. He did uh, he did the title sequence uh for Batman Beyond. He yeah. uh he did so many great things. It was just wonderful watching him draw. And also just a terrific guy to talk to about comics and where they were and, and where they were going and what he was passionate about. I have one Darwin story that I, I like an awful lot. And um, uh, he was he was at Warner's at the time. And uh, uh, a cartoonist he works with a lot, his good friend Jay Bone, was uh, in Los Angeles visiting me. We were actually doing a book called Mutant Texas together for Oni Press. And so Jason had come down and we were kind of working out the story for the four issues together. And we had a party over at my house. It was at the Muskox house, the, yeah. that same one up in the hills. And Darwin came with uh, Dave Bullock and a, maybe a couple of other people. And they, they, were, they, were ha- they were having a lot of fun at the party. And afterwards they said, well, we got to go. And they kind of moved out into the the driveway because it was getting late. The party was breaking up. So I'm picking things up and washing the dishes and putting the food away. And I'm, you know, and Bone has long since gone to sleep. So it's about two hours later. I look out the door. Darwin and, and Bullock and everybody are still out there having a party. You know, they're, they've got their own like three or four person party and Darwin's out there smoking and, 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 uh, and, um, 
and uh, you know, holding court. And I open the door and I say, "You guys want to come in? There's still some food left, and uh, you want to? No reason you should be outside." And it's like, "No, no, we're going. We're going. We're just going to buy board." Half an hour later, they're still out there, you know. And it's like, finally, I go and take a shower. I'm tired, and I get out of the shower and I put on my robe. They're still out there. I go, Darwin, it's three thirty. I'll make some eggs. You want to come in? It's practically breakfast. No, we're going. We're going. I said, stay all night if you want, but I, I got to get some sleep. So, you know, when I when I woke up, they they had gone, but I don't know how long they they stayed out there. They were just having a, a you know fun little party, talking about whatever outside to the wee small hours in the morning. So. Tom, you have the you should have the Bruce Tim design in your email if you want to forward it to the fellas. Oh God, yes. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Do it, do it. No, Mark it's mail. cute. It's really cute. Yeah, cute. Oh, right. come on, I'm just trying to. I'm just. Tra- <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out what part of my body I'm going to get it tattooed on. <laughs> I'll get one that matches it. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, this is fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, Isn't it wonderful? Oh, it's amazing. I actually have a, a model sheet done by Ronnie Del Carmen of me. So uh, and in my sketchbook. So wow. the the guy who co directed Up did a Paul D model kit uh, uh, set. I don't know where that is though. Um, um, that's the thing. I, I get into that in the book. You know, that's sort of the way that artists, you know, kid each other is by doing caricatures, or, and that's their equivalent of a get well card when you're sick or beaten up or something. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll give you something. Like um, that. That's so that's so cool. The, I mean, it's my, I think one of the coolest ones is. Um, <laughs> Hey, I sent it in kick. Uh, I'm just seeing the picture now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, That's awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, you are very oh awesome. I wish I looked that good. <laughs> Paul, how tall are you? Awesomer is awesomer. Uh, six one. Oh, wow. But yeah. I, I would kind of like hunch around. You do have bad posture. I do have bad posture, yeah. <laughs> That's because I was the tallest kid in my neighborhood. I always had to lean down to listen to my brothers and, mm-hmm. and sister. I know what that's like. Yeah. How tall are you? Yeah. Six three. Whoa, there you go. Yeah. We call him Green Giant. That's how tall. Yeah. That is amazing. <laughs> um, another question from the fielding from the audience. Um, oh, this is a great one actually because I've thought about this and I think you mentioned you, you mentioned it before. Okay. When is the animated series coming to Blu-ray? Yes. No idea. <laughs> I don't know. No. I, I I'm not over at Warner's on any sort of regular basis, and I and I don't know really who to ask. Occasionally I'll ask Alan Burnett and I'll just kind of get a woo from him. Uh, but I'll ask him again. <laughs> and uh, because I, I, I'm not sure what's happening with, with home video over there. I know they put out product for it. I think isn't the killing joke coming out on Blu-ray. I think they're, they're doing yeah. a huge yeah. release on that. Yeah. I don't know what's holding up uh mask of the phantasm or the animated series or, oh. or whatever, I guess maybe another mm-hmm. 20 years or something because they, they they just put out the animated series a few years ago. I don't. I again. I really don't know. I'll ask. But uh, mm. is is there anyone you can talk to about getting us a gray ghost figure? <laughs> Beat you oh. to it. Gray I think lessons. there is one coming. There is. I think there. I think there. Yeah, I think there's one coming from the uh, DC collectibles. I know they have a huge line coming out, uh, a bunch more coming out in that line. Yeah. And I believe I've seen the gray ghost down on the. I don't. Uh, don't hold me to it, but I, I know it was the ones that we were talking about. I mean, when I when I went in and talked to them originally, they said, which characters do you want to do? I said, well, I think you should do Jonah Hex, Zatanna, uh, Grey Ghost, and Roxy, and they, they were up for all of those. So, wow. Um, Uncle Batman himself. Uncle Batman. Oh, there yeah. we go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they have a, 
they have a one coming out this Christmas. They're doing the the Joker in his Christmas special outfit from Christmas with the yeah, Joker. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. awesome. And little Charlie Brown. Yeah. Christmas. Yeah. The, uh, that's good the, too. The Harley yeah. Quinn, the Harley Quinn DC Icons comes out next week. Also, drops same day as your book. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So, and that's, a lot that's, of stuff dropping this yeah, month. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Very, very cool. And then, I have you seen um, the original design for the Harley Quinn black and white statue? That's been out for a bit. Oh, the one I did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I have a couple of those. Yeah, that's very, that's very a lot of fun. Cool. It was it was real challenging trying to draw that again. It's like oh, I suck at this so bad. <laughs> and then, but their their sculptor was able to take it and, and do the sculpture, and I thought it was very very nice. So. That is cool. That is very I'm better cool. with weird little animals than I am with people. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. When pressed, I can do it. That sounds uh, the, weird. Uh, the hyenas, her hyenas, are making it into a statue as well. Is oh that the, uh... Do you know their names? Oh, Silence. Fail. Trivia Fail. question. Do you oh, know their names? Trivia question. I know their names. Butterloo. That's right. Oh, Butterloo. Abbott and ah, Costello. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I should have known. Abbott and Costello, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're going to be in the... Uh, there's an, a second edition of the Gotham Motorcycle. City Garage statue. Yeah. Oh, I begged for that because they showed me the prototype and they were in there and I, and I said, oh, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. And they said it's too expensive. And I said, just make me one. I, I, he's wearing goggles like Snoopy. It's so cute. You've got to yeah. do yeah. it. So they're going to do a few yeah, it's, of those. I've, I've, I've noticed it's been, it's been delayed and delayed, but it does show up uh, in the mm -hmm. database for, for ordering. Just uh, hasn't uh, been released yet. Robin yeah. works at a shop up in Windsor. That's how he has all the inside info, all the inside ah. scoop. Nice. Yeah. Are you guys? Uh, oh, and this is another good question. Actually, uh, do you have anything scheduled um, that you know for uh, signings for your book next week, or anything around the time? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, there are a couple of things. Um, on the twenty fourth of June, I'm going to be at Romans in Pasadena. I uh, Pasadena's. That's where. Yeah, bookstore. that's where we met you. That's right. Yeah. And so I'm not exactly sure on the time. I think it's like six at night or something like that. We should see if you can get some more giveaway stuff. Yeah, yeah. Be, oh. Those went over amazingly, by the way. You know what? Like, I got was... all those giveaways here. So. Oh, well, wow. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> we, got, we, have, we have a bunch of Batman the Animated Series action figures here. Oh, wow. So. You're so generous to give those away, Misty. Yeah, I know. Isn't that nice of me? <laughs> I'm so angry. There's absolutely no self selfish motive at all. I, I don't want all those boxes out of the foyer. Yeah, it, it paves the way fans, for that cave you know? lion skull that I want. Oh, so, God damn it. You know, I'm sorry, I already bought it. It was only $8,000. So it'll look great. Uh -huh. what, was the, what was the date on that one again in Pasadena? Uh, the 24th. The 24th. So it's Friday, I think, right? Uh, or the June? Saturday. It's it's that Saturday, I think. It's, oh, uh, then it's probably the twenty fifth. Okay, I, I'll look of it up. June, right? We're yeah. looking. We're looking. Let's see. Tom, bring your big purse and grab all those collectibles, man. <laughs> no, man. It's uh, you know what I actually like about it is that you do a beautiful job of the last time at the Batman uh, event that you oh, did was you made it equal Saturday. Saturday the 25th? Is it the 25th? Is it... Saturday is the 25th. Oh, it is the 25th. Oh, cool. uh, okay. You don't well, even know what day you got to be there? I'll check. <laughs> I'll get online and I'll check. And I'll show show up we... Can I check right now while you're talking to them? No. 
I well, don't know how to is do it. Is it a secret? You don't know. <laughs> I, well, I don't know what to do. <laughs> no, don't roll backwards because you're going to ruin that. Oh, all right. All right. Wait, listen, Linda. Yeah. Listen. Okay. <laughs> I call him Linda. You, have you guys seen I, that little oh, video of that little yeah, kid? Yeah, that kid. Hilarious. Linda, honey. <laughs> I, Linda, I do this honey. to him. I go, Linda, Linda, listen. Friday, it's you're there. He's at Broman's Friday, June 24th at 7 p.m. Oh, wow. There we go. Okay. In Friday. Pasadena. Oh, all right. Great. Beautiful. Is there oh. anyone figure that you would would be like your holy grail of action figures to have oh let's see figure would i baby doll baby doll's already out yeah he's got baby doll out he asked for her (laughs) yeah it's in a two-pack with croc um sid the squid (laughs) sid the squid would be an interesting choice he's not you know kind of an inaction figure because he's um which were some of the other ones that we did that were really that were really cool and obscure uh, maybe you know what Catwoman is a cat from the Tiger Tiger ever, oh, or the, yeah. the from the Tigress episodes. You know mm-hmm. some of those. That would be kind of that would be kind of cool. That would be a cool variant. Or um, we did. Oh, aha, uh-huh. Farmer Brown. There you go, Farmer Brown. The weird, <laughs> the weirdest character ever was uh, Steve Gerber, creator of Howard the Duck, created Farmer Brown. Who's Farmer Brown? Farmer Brown was a weird geneticist. He was like a he was like a Farmer John. You know, he has he was a a farmer who had a, a big industrial, you know, food, and he was making genetic freaks in order to increase mass production. And uh, then he started unleashing monsters on on Gotham City. But he looked like an old style Amish farmer. So, yeah, like a creepy, like like long and gang, like super creepy from like a horror movie. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah he would be like a guy out in the cornfield with a pitchfork. You know, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Oh, the little girl from Clayface. That would be a killer one. Oh. To actually do like a Clayface with the little girl from that episode. I, I'm forgetting oh, yes. what the name was. Oh, yeah. Amy or Amanda or something. It's been a long time, but but something uh, like that would be really cool. Really yeah. aching for a uh, ventriloquist Scarface. I think that's coming. I think, yeah. they, they got, I think that may be in the works. Thank um, you, Uncle Batman. You're welcome. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'd also love it. I'd also love to see a scarecrow from the original series. Oh, that would be a good original. three pack because we kept changing his design, like yeah. the um, like the old sackhead scarecrow, and then the, yeah. the the middle one, and then the the hanged man scarecrow. That would be that'd be cool to do a three pack of that. And then the uh, another question that we have here, um, Misty, or both of you guys, um, if you could voice any character that you haven't, which would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. What would you do? I don't know. I've done I've done so many rad females. I, I'll tell you, I would love to create a nasty villainess for Disney. Oh yeah. So that that would be my my dream job. To you be really are a villainess. Yeah. yeah. I I would love to do the voice match for classic Maleficent, but Susan Blakesley does such a great mm. job with mm. her. And she so has that down. Madame Leota would be up on my list as well, but that's the same voice essentially mm. and susan does both of those and she is so spot on and i want those to be pure so i don't i, I mean i and she does such a beautiful job they're not hiring um mm. but i would love to create a new villainous for disney i think that would be my in, in an animated Your feature ursula or mother Gothel yeah my my or... ursula my maleficent yeah. Yeah. yeah and you could you sing you could sing as a character and you know oh, yeah. oh, flawlessly beautiful that'd be voice. amazing that's nice they, yeah well it's true you've nice. got a wonderful voice 
they uh, they just they just did the um the sing alongs. They're starting I guess it's summertime, so they're starting to open up the the Hollywood Bowl again for the sing alongs for the Disney. They just did a little mermaid. My wife went last weekend. She said it was amazing. Like John Stamos came out. Yep. Um Rebel Wilson was Ursula. Um they just had all these cameos from all these actors come out and do the voices, which is pretty cool. And it's they're super popular. They're crazy how how popular yeah. they are. My People assistant, love it, Trisha, man. one of my magic assistants, couldn't make it. We did a show that day for City of Hope for the kids with cancer. They have like a picnic to celebrate mm. the fact that they're alive and in treatment. And so many of them are in remission and they can congratulate and support each other. It's really awesome. And the Magic Castle does an outreach show for them every year. And we, that was June 4th. And that was the day that that was happening. And I had asked Trisha, will you come and do this show with us? And she said, I can't because I'm going to the Little Mermaid. <laughs> and I said, oh, God. But she loves it. She loves it. It. And she, she, it was all over her Facebook. I'm in heaven. It's so wonderful. Here's John Stamos. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> it was really, she was really. Impressed. So good. Do you, you want to tell them who you would voice if you could voice anybody? What? You voiced. You screamed for Vincent Price once. I screamed for Vincent Price on an episode of Tiny Tunes. No way. And, uh, oh. Where, where we did the Raven, and uh, and uh, he had trouble doing a couple of screams, so I just went in and doubled him on on the screams and. And and he he was sort of listening and looking at me and and I said uh, I, I'm trying to do you as Edward Lionheart falling into the fire at the end of Throne of uh, Theater of Blood and he goes oh well that's nice that's that's very nice of you you know <laughs> I was such a geek in front of him and he's going yes that's fine yes, very good you, you know, know he actually gave Frank Welker lessons on how to do Vincent Price. Really? Vincent did. Wow. Vincent did. Like yeah. Mark Evanier tells the story. I think he may have told it on our podcast, actually, because he, he might have yeah. been there. Mm-hmm. Um, where he heard Frank doubling him. Vincent said, I've heard you do a very good me. And Frank did his impression of Vincent, and Vincent said, Not bad, but when I do this, I do that. And when I do Holy that, shit. I do this. And he got private lessons on Vincent pricing from Vincent Price Damn. himself. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. That's what it's like to be Frank Welker for a day. (laughs) I worked with that man on Garfield, on the Garfield show once. And I watched him and listened to him open a can of soda, tinkle ice into a glass, dump the soda into the glass and drink it. And that bastard had nothing in his hand. He did it all as fully with his mouth. (laughs) And I just went, you know what? You you keep the crown because I'm never gonna get there. It's like the police academy <laughs> dude. Better people actually hire Frank and give him a day rate to foley stuff and do sound effects vocally, so they don't have to do foley in the studio. Wow! Wow! I never wow. do voices in because I don't know. You know, when it's like like a classic character, I think oh it'd be fun to do, you know, a, a vo- like today I I thought oh if there's nobody to do the voice of this character, I'll do it. But I thought, oh God, you know, we, we're paying actors who are really good, and and you're let, let also them do it. really good. They're also really good. No, you're also really good. Well, you, you know, know, when he when he writes a character, he actually reads the lines out loud as he's writing them to make sure that if if Mark Hamill's going to say it, it's in his cadence and in his thing. And when Paul is writing characters, I don't know how other writers do it, but I watch him all the time. And part of his process is his posture shifts. And he, wow. he's got like a music soundtrack for every character and they have that cadence and he changes his posture, his cadence, his facial expressions. When he's writing the Joker, his mouth like spreads out really, really wide and his back hunches over and his hands get really creepy and he's rah, 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 and he does, he like changes and acts it out. He's a hell of an actor and he doesn't really do a lot of voiceover because he's such a fan of the actors who do it, but he can. Don't let him tell you he can't because I heard him and he can do okay, it. Okay, if I could do any, <laughs> I could do any character voice, I do the voice of uh, the Marsupilami. Hey! 
It's one word. You're Hooba! A, over Hooba, and over. Hooba. You're obsessed with that thing. I love, you, I love the marsupilami. We it's went my... to Belgium for one day. We went to the comic book museum. He's obsessed with marsupilami. <laughs> I, I, I remembered him from when I was a kid. It was like seeing my dog from childhood because I used to read French comics in school. That, that was the only way we could... You know, read the comics, and the teacher would say, "You will, you will read it in French, and that is the only way you can you can understand." So I would read Asterix and Marsupilami and Ten uh, Ten and a bunch of other stuff, and uh, so I always I always liked that little animal. And then when we went to the museum, it's like, "Oh, I remember this guy. Here he is." Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he's not gonna like it. He's not gonna like it. But I'm I'm gonna plug Tom for any time you guys need oh, a God. voice voice character, call Tom. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. He does a mean Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> and let he does a good trunkler, too. Let me hear yeah. it. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. <laughs> Put your guy. money where your mouth is, fool. The, <clears throat> the other night I had this bloke who's asking me a couple questions. His name was the trunkler. Too many questions he asked me. Hey, I heard that you did the transporter. Yeah, I did the transporter. I heard you also did crank. Yeah, I did crank. Are they the same movie? No, they're not. You're not job. Two completely different movies. Completely different characters. <laughs> All right, all that passes me as good. That's pretty good. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite impression to actually do is to do the trunkler, Scott from Chicago. And I actually, I pretend, I pretend like I've just eaten half of a deep dish pizza from Lou Malnati's. Um, and, and you just kind of gotta, you kind of gotta trail it a little bit. And uh, Paul. Uh, I hear that you got a bunch of collectibles in your trunk there, um, and I hear that Misty, uh, she kind of wants to get rid of them. I wouldn't mind if maybe you had me over and I kind of... Well, uh, we got to do that. You know, we'll have you over to the house some night, and I'll go through the trunk and see what's there. Oh, uh, it might be a few things you shouldn't be looking at, but I think uh, I we keep a tarp over them. And it's my Don't understanding that, uh, that Misty's pretty good with that whole situation there. <laughs> <laughs> you just go right on ahead and take all that shit right home. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Beautiful. That's yeah. Misty Lee wow. and Paul doing the trunkler. Jeez. Couldn't be better. I've heard it all. How is this um, real life? Gramps, Gramps, you yeah. want to do a quick lightning round? Yeah, Paul, we've lightning got round. a. We've got, we've got we've got a tradition that we do here, and it's called the lightning round. It's just basically some random ass questions that Great. just give us the best answer and the quickest answer off the top of your head. Fire away! Okay, Let's fire do this. Away. All right. Um, what Green. is? Oh. <laughs> What's your favorite type of Mountain Dew? The hillbilly one with hillbilly the hillbilly one. one on the bottom. Yeah. Where he's kind of yeah. shot through the half. Yeah, the old, the old school, the real old sugar. Old school, real yeah. sugar. Yeah, the ones that they just re-released with the hillbillies printed on the front. Yep, Willie the hillbilly. Love him. Yep, yep. Do you ever do you ever drink Code Red? No. Oh, oh Jesus! Oh, I love. You ever have a heart attack? <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Do you want to one? Not as far as I go into mutant sodas. So. <laughs> 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 So after watching um, your dog whisper video and you and Tom working out in the park, um, I got to ask, how much do you deadlift? <laughs> I don't at all. I don't know, 80 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever's in the box. <laughs> Misty, uh, what are your favorite types of M&Ms? Um, I like the peanut kind. Yes. yes. Nice. Win-win. Told you. Ding, ding, ding. 
I always get those thing. in hotel mini bars whenever I'm traveling, like when we're doing a show out of town or when Paul and I travel. It's if I open the mini bar and there are peanut M and M's, I don't care if someone else is pissed on the floor by my bed. The hotel's okay. <laughs> <laughs> take, take that. We're going out to eat at a really nice restaurant. Oh, you you found the peanut M and M's. I ate. Uh, okay, I guess I'll order a cheese sandwich from service. Uh, speaking of pissing on hotel room floors, dear. Um... Oh, my favorite subject. <laughs> so, okay, going back to the trunk clerk, what's your favorite type of pizza? Do you like deep dish, New York oh. style thin crust? I'm hands down deep dish with pepperoni. Yes. I haven't had it because I don't eat the pigs. Uh, anymore, and I miss it terribly. Detroit has a place that is a, a sad reflection of Chicago-style pizza, because Chicago is the only place that does it right. Mm, um, but we had a place called Pizza Popolis, and you're close enough, you need to eat it uh, if you're sitting over there in it's Lincoln still Park. still there. Yes, I know. I know. It's and it's, it is really delicious. Yeah. We've got a place out here called Taste Chicago that's not close, and our buddy Scott Adsit has... Um, oh, yeah, that place is down... There's in, a place in here in Hollywood, Hollywood that he says is awful. Well, there's... Yeah, Taste Chicago's there, but Scott gets his deep dishes from a place in... I think it's Hollywood Pizza. It might something. be Hollywood Pizza, and he says it's awful close, and, and he's right. It's pretty darn good. Yeah. He is right. It has he that cakey type... Type, uh, yeah, it's crust. got the cakey, spongy crust. It's really good. I go thin crust, almost like a matzo, and with uh, jalapeno, pineapple, and anchovy. Oh, oh I know. Yes. It's like, I know, God. I know. Jesus no human Christ. Bless America. Oh. But I love You're it. Not serious. Oh, oh, no, I swear to God. It's, it's salt, it's sweet, and it's hot. All, all together. <laughs> oh, <man>. Just <laughs> like I like oh, my women. Like so <laughs> <laughs> imagine it's it. I like my men like I like my coffee, ground up and in the freezer. <laughs> Favorite game, Asylum or City? Oh, I, li- I think Asylum's better. Asylum, nice. Yeah, good call. Are you excited you about the, the, the remastering coming out on PlayStation 4? No, there was one. Uh, uh, man, Did you know? If they fix the gonks, yeah, that's great. It, mm. um, I wasn't really aware of uh, it was happening, but I, I heard a little bit about it, yeah. Um, what's your favorite Cypress Hill song? <laughs> Got one? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Kill a man? <laughs> <laughs> did you have an idea for a third Arkham game that would complete like a trilogy? You I did. did. I did, but I never I never really got a chance to pitch it. And they and he had created an entire other world for them. Yeah. And, and uh, they, they it, used parts of it, but they didn't do it justice because it was fucking rad. Yeah, I did have I did have a a, a third a part in mind, and it wouldn't have been going back to the comics like the way they did with Arkham Knight. It would have been something. They, uh, it would have been something else, and I may do it in some form somewhere else. But uh, you know, um, it, just, it just didn't happen. I would like to see a game called Arkham Arena, where the, oh, that's now, nice. They throw Batman inside Arkham Asylum, and he's got to fight all the baddies in like an arena fighting set. Ooh, That's fighting cool. game. Fight club in. Uh, yeah, in, in, yeah. <laughs> there you go. I'd like to see an Uncle Batman game. Yes, I'm no. going to. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, Uncle you, Batman. You tell stories by a fire. <laughs> Each of you could bring someone famous back from the dead and have dinner with them. Who would it be? Um, Charlie Chaplin and Harpo Marx at the same time. Oh, wow. Nice. Mm. Those are my boyfriends. I'm only allowed to have boyfriends that are dead, and they're both my boyfriends. <laughs> it's a good rule. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Paul? Uh, Walt Disney and Frank Sinatra. Oh, oh nice. Blue eyes. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. If- I didn't know Walt Disney had blue eyes. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 kind of a I wrote that one. 
They were red. <laughs> yeah, red and smoky gray from all the cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Floyd Norman. Floyd Norman was one of the. Do you guys know who he is? He's amazing. He was Floyd in, Norman was one of. Disney's. He was the first. I, I think, if not the first, one of the first African American fellas that ever worked directly with Walt. And he said that you could always tell that Walt was coming because of the coughing coming down the hallway. Oh Jesus. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it was like it was like Man is in the Forest from Bambi. He would <coughs> part of it was he was a heavy smoker, but also it was his way of tipping off people like uh okay, Walt's walking around, yeah. keep Get looking to work. Look yeah, busy. Business. Yeah. 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 We could we could ask him again once they get him out of the ice. You know, the big rumor. You know, we Number. actually have a painting of him. <laughs> oh, we do have. No, send him that painting. We have a, no, because your gossamer is better. Oh, right. We have a painting of Walt. <laughs> like, it's a Haunted Mansion style painting of Walt rising out of the cryo machine. Oh, oh my God. He made cool that to see. He's the real Mr. Freeze. <laughs> yeah. Yay! <laughs> we had an episode like that where we had a character who was sort of patterned after Disney in the second Mr. Freeze episode. And uh, he was. He was a little bit like the Jurassic Park guy, a little bit like Walt, and uh, that was that was actually where the episode came from about the myth that Walt had himself frozen. <laughs> Amazing. Um, if each of you could have one superpower, what would you choose? You go first. Uh, I already have that superpower. It's the ability to find a good parking place wherever I am. <gasps> he wow. does. Dude, that, oh is, that, that is the best. Wow. In L.A. That is what we're in. Unreasonable parking. Karma. I know. That I don't is... know. I must have, you know, met a friendly genie or wished on a star at the right moment. Because oh. my wish was, I want to be able to find a really great parking place, any place, and and I I don't want to have to have a sticker in my car saying that I that handicapped, handicapped or anything. And so you know what? He just that. he just has to be in the car. He yeah. doesn't even have to be driving. Because if I'm driving, we still get parking karma. Wow. If I'm driving alone, I do not have it. But he. <laughs> Oh my gosh, she's so fortunate with that. Yeah, I'm gonna put that Gosmer picture on my dash and see what happens. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like luck Gladstone awesome. You're the Gladstone Gander. I'm the Gladstone Gander of parking. Yeah. You know? Oh, lucky me! Here's a place for. Well, thank you guys so fucking much. <laughs> All of us grew up uh, for our entire lives since we were kids. Paul, your stuff has been there like He-Man when I was younger and then Batman when I grew up. And uh, it's it's just continued through. You've been there through my whole life and Misty, all the the games that you've worked on, all the stuff that I've played, and now you're working on games that my kids are playing and cartoons that my kids are watching. You guys are just there for so much, and it's it's great that you uh, were able to take the time to, to be with us here. Thank you very it's much. It's a you real know, honor. Been, thank you. It's yeah. been yes, a, thank it really, you. truly thank has. You. I used to work with Weird Al Yankovic, and when I was working with Al, he made a really, really, really good point. And he told me that the people who buy the product are your boss. And so to get feedback like that from you guys and for you to tell Paul that you love his stuff and for you to tell me that you love our stuff, that's like an on-the-spot job review. And it means yeah, the world to us. And it means everything to us that make it, that you yeah. guys dig it. So yeah. thank you. I mean, I, I feel so like much. very grateful that, uh, you know, I was talking today to, to, to Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester about this. It's like, it's been 25 years since we first started doing Batman. And here we are a quarter of a century mm-hmm. later. And, you know, you know, there have been, uh, you know, years here and there where, we've, where we haven't done anything related to the show, but it's been out there and, and people have grown up with it. Now their kids are coming up. And that was the one thing that we kept going over was, 
every time we do a convention appearance, there are you know people in their 30s who are bringing their kids, saying, "You're responsible for my childhood and now, now for my my child's childhood," and that's a that's a big responsibility. It's 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 our pleasure though, our absolute pleasure, and it went by so quick. I feel like mm-hmm. it still happens. I'm the real reason that they had you on today. You're not fooling anybody. That's, true. That's actually true. Yeah. <laughs> Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in. Oh, yeah. All right. So we have really we rude. have Rashi. We have Rashi now on Bad Force Radio, and we have Misty and Paul doing the trunkler on Bad Force Radio. So my name is Little Rashi, and you're listening to Bad Force Radio, you lucky bastards. Guys, it's been amazing. It's been so much fun. I just want to leave them all on this. Um. Paul, for Heart of Hush, 75 yes. years of Catwoman and Batman dynamic, but I think you've nailed it, showing how much Catwoman means to Batman. And in a sense, wow. after talking to you both tonight, I feel like it sounds like Misty is your Catwoman. That she is. And, yeah. And it's, it's just, it's so nice heart. to see see such creatives come together, such good people come together and, and fi- find happiness in such a creative yeah. lifestyle and swear of bringing forth such great things for everyone to enjoy. Through entertainment. What so, a nice thing to say. Yeah. yeah, no, seriously, just thank you guys so much for coming on Bad Force Radio. Yeah, thank we love you. you guys. I think yes, we're just, more than anything else, we're just yeah. all the same kind of asshole. It just works Pretty out much. that way. You know, yeah. we're just looking for somebody kindred who's an asshole same as us. Yeah, man. <laughs> There's that definitely asshole. found that. Yep. It's funny because people always say, oh, you're like his Zatanna. And he's like, nope, she's definitely my Catwoman. She's yeah. way more Catwoman than she is Zatanna. Yeah. He Christ. said that a million times. You enjoying what you do in your career and, and finding the joy in it and, and always being able to enjoy it. I think it makes Paul enjoy his stuff, you know, even more. Oh, yeah. So, oh my God, we have a blast. Yeah. We're yeah. ridiculous. Like we do this stuff when we're not being paid. So yeah. the fact that people give us money for it. Everybody I've I've known who has made the leap to do something for themselves in a creative endeavor has always profited from it. If not financially, then spiritually, emotionally, they're just happier people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you do something for yourself, you can have a yeah. job nine to find, and all that's great. But if you have something you're passionate about, whether it's acting, playing the guitar, painting. Or selling insurance. Or there are people yeah. who that is their jam. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they should be doing. Do something for yourself. Find your own delight. Maybe. Yeah. You know, thank you guys so much for what you do. It helps us enjoy what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys are fucking rad. So just keep doing what you do. Yep. All right. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Bat Force Radio. What a great evening with the great Misty Lee and Paul Dini. Thanks for tuning in. And definitely make sure to subscribe to Bat Force Radio over on iTunes and or SoundCloud for everything Batman and DC related. Thanks again, friends, and stay safe.